we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. What? If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? If you're looking to make sense out of what's going on in the world today, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie, the Radio Chicky Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guests that you'll find anywhere on Internet radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917 889 3675. So sit back, relax, and remember Southern Sense is common sense. Headlines, breaking news. It's another hurricane. Oh, no, wait a minute. It's an earthquake. Oh, no, it's another riot going on. Oh, the world is falling apart. Every day, another shocking headline makes you wonder, what will tomorrow bring? That's why those who know what's coming are using today to prepare. I'm talking about getting your family some high-quality emergency food from My Patriot Supply. My Patriot Supply is the nation's leading preparedness company. They've been in business going on 14 years now, and they've served millions of American families. Now, they want to help you by giving you $50 off their popular four-week emergency food kit. You'll get four weeks of food per person with meals designed to give you more than 2,000 calories a day. Oh, by the way, this food stays fresh for up to 25 years in proper storage. So it will be there when you need it. Other food goes bad fast. So don't wait. Go to preparewithsouthernsense.com and claim your four-week emergency food kit. You'll save 50 cents per 50 cents. No, not 50 cents. $50 per kit if you act now. Now, you can go to preparewithsouthernsense.com, or if you're listening to the show on my website, just go to the top left-hand corner, click on prepare. Go to Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Don't wait. Do it today. 
All right, and welcome back to another adventure here on Southern Sense, live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook, and oh, half a dozen other different places. Just go to the name of the show, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. And as it goes now, yeah, there goes my video. My video just froze. There we go. Our video is up. Our video feed, hallelujah, is up. You're listening to the hostess with the least mostest, the radio chickadee, Annie, as well as my guest co-host, Mama Mia, Nosharia, Vito Esposito, my Guido. Vito, hello. Ciao, ciao. <laughs> ciao, ciao. How are you? Thank you for having oh, me. Oh, man. <laughs> Uh, it is my pleasure, my absolute pleasure. You know, it, it goes figure because uh, for some reason I've got to get someone to look at my computer because it keeps on telling me I'm using up too much CPU. So the video feed is going all hinky on my video here. It's just, it's, it's going nuts on me, I swear. <laughs> Another hole in the head, yeah. Four flutter. Well, listen, we got ourselves a jam up show going on today. Want to welcome everyone that's listening in over on Facebook and YouTube. That is up and working. I'm looking at myself right now. And those that are joining us here in the chat room here on Blog Talk Radio, we have so much going on. We're starting off with a libertarian author, Tom Mullen. He's got a new book out called It's the Fed Stupid. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, mm-hmm. my fan favorite. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Tony Schaefer, he is now president of the Herb London Center for Policy Research. And, man, I I miss Herb. Uh, He was so much fun to talk to. But Tony also is a pleasure to talk to. He has a new book out, Tony, called Operation Dark Heart. And then we have gubernatorial candidate for Ohio, Jim Renici. And then we're going to have our heritage closing guest, Joel Griffith. And it's funny, we're starting off talking about the Fed at the beginning of the show, and we're going to end the show talking about the Fed. And for some reason, my video feed just went completely crashing down. I can't believe this. Would you believe this, Peter? Would you put makeup on today? Unbelievable. Just want to know. (laughs) (laughs) That's what it is. I'm not wearing an ounce of makeup. There you go. (laughs) How rude. Uh, uh, oh, man. I mean, if anything can go wrong, it will go wrong with me. I swear, I really do have to get rid of this X-Split broadcast that I'm using and go over with the uh, the new program, but I haven't figured out the new program completely yet. So it's it's going to be uh, hopefully not too long, but maybe a couple of weeks, and I'll have that up and running. So hopefully we'll get the video feedback up here. And just bear with us, folks. You know, it's a work in progress. There's no other excuse for it. It's just simply a work in progress. But at least we've got the chat room open. And we've got one thing going, don't we? Yes, that's correct. We'll keep in touch that way. (laughs) (laughs) All right. As I'm waiting for the video feed to come back up, so I can get that back on, that's almost all the way back up. So just bear with me if you are listening over on Facebook and YouTube. We'll get it up and running again. Fingers crossed. Anyway, um, those that listen to our show know that we start off each and every show with a dedication to a fallen hero. And today's dedication is going to go out to Sergeant James K. Smith of the Iowa State Patrol. His end of watch was Friday, April 9th of 2000 and 
one last year. And just bear with me as I try to get that up. And well, we get part of this working. Let's see if we can get the rest of it going. All right, come on. And it's not going to behave. SOB. Anyway, this is from Colin Dorsey from KWWL. And he reads, The Iowa State Patrol Sergeant killed in a standoff in Grundy Center was no relative newcomer to the force. In total, he spent three decades with the Iowa State Patrol. Iowa State Patrol Sergeant Jim Smith spent 27 years after graduating from the academy in 1993. He first started with the Fairfield Post before transferring to the OELN Post in 1996, and that is where he stayed for the remainder of his career and became active in his community and church. Sergeant Jim Smith, I'm going to keep saying his name until his sacrifice is seared upon the hearts of anybody who hears my voice, said Stephen Bayens, Commissioner of the Iowa Department of Public Safety during an emotional news conference. Sergeant Smith was recognized as recently as 2018 by the Iowa Law Enforcement Academy in their patrol member spotlight. He was also leader of the Area C tactical team, devoting time on and off duty. He is the 11th Iowa State Patrol member to die in the line of duty, the first in a decade. He is only the second patrol member to have been shot and killed, the first being Trooper Oren Pape in 1936. Sergeant Smith leaves behind his wife and two children. Authorities arrested Michael Thomas Lang of Grundy Center for the standoff and killing of Smith. According to Mitch Mortvet, Assistant Director of the Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation, Lang was well known to law enforcement. Lang's online court records show he had frequent run-ins with the law in the last two decades. Most charges against him involved alcohol, disorderly conduct, or driving without a license. Driving without a license is what initiated that night's encounter. He was barred from driving, and a local Grundy Center officer recognized him and saw him driving. Lang also had an unsuccessful bid for Grundy County Sheriff as recently as this past November. He lost with 22% of the vote to Sheriff Kirk Dostlanger, who was the chief deputy at the time. This incident becomes less than three weeks after a correctional officer and nurse were killed at the Anamosa State Penitentiary. And this is from WCF Courier. James K. Smith, 51, of Independence, Iowa, died on Friday, April 9, 2021, as a result of injuries sustained in the line of duty with the Iowa State Patrol. Jim was born on December 10, 1969, in Cedar Rapids, the son of Everett and Mary Milder Smith. He was a 1988 graduate of LaSalle High School in Cedar Rapids. Jim went on to study criminology at Kirkwood Community College and received his bachelor's degree from the University of Northern Iowa in 1992. He worked as a security guard and later as a counselor at Four Oaks in Bertram, Iowa. On August 14, 1993, 
Jim married Catherine J. Glantz at St. Jude's Catholic Church in Cedar Rapids. Together they had two amazing children, Xander and Jaslyn Smith. On December 10, 1993, Jim graduated with the 19th Basic Department of Public Safety Academy. Jim and Kathy lived in Fairfield, Iowa for a few years before making their home in Independence in 1996. He was stationed with the Iowa State Patrol District 10. In 1994, he became a member of the tactical team for the Iowa State Patrol. He served with the team for 26 years and led them for five. His team, Brothers and Sisters in Blue, were a part of his family. He was a member of the Jessup Bible Fellowship. He served God on the elder board and threw lessons to the congregation and youth groups. He was also a member of the praise team, where he played the drums to worship the Lord. Jim's devotion led him to spend time studying the Bible daily. Quality time with his family was most important to Jim. He made them laugh every second of every day, and the memories of wheezing until their lungs hurt will be cherished forever. Jim will be greatly missed by everyone who knew him. He was an upholder of justice, a loving husband, a father, a comedian, a humble man of God, and a superhero. To this day, nobody has seen Batman and Jim in the same room. He is survived by his wife of 27 years, Kathy Smith, his children, Xander and Jaslyn, his mother and stepfather, Mary and Tom Aiken, a brother, Jeff, a sister, Michelle, Mouse Schmutzel, father and mother-in-law, Jim and Cindy Glantz, two sister-in-laws, Annie and Debbie, and several nieces and nephews. He is also survived by many extended family and members and his brothers and sisters in blue. Sergeant Smith, stand down. You are end of tour. Today's show is dedicated to Sergeant James K. Smith. It is also dedicated to all the brave men and women out there that serve as first responders, be they law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency services. It is also dedicated to the brave men and women out there that serve in our military from the birth of this great nation through today and into our hopeful future. We dedicate to them this song by Todd Allen Hamilton, My Name is America. May God bless each and every one.
Oh, the heck was just go to the name of the show, put a hyphen in the middle, southern-sense.com. Oh, jeez, I'm the hostess that's losing the most is the radio chickadee, Annie, along with my Guido Vito guest co-host today, <laughs> Mamma Mia Nocturia. Good afternoon. I mean, <laughs> you poor thing. <laughs> I, I swear, I, I just, I'm, I'm losing it. I just definitely am definitely losing it. And for some reason, I am still having a hard time with the video and looks like it's about ready to crash on me one more time. I can't believe this. You know what it is? Whenever they update a program, they always screw it up. And I went for the update and ever since then, it just has not functioned properly. It just, you know, just guys, if it's working, don't mess with it. Just leave it alone, please. But they do. They mess with it, and then we're the ones left picking up the pieces here. <laughs> That's right. And, it, and it's like you can't you can't restart your computer. I mean, you're in the middle of a show, but one thing you end up losing everything. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, the big news of the week is the Supreme Court ruling that came down uh, just yesterday, and they blocked the Biden business vaccine mandate. So now if you 
work for a company of 100 employees or more, you don't have to be mandated to get the vax. That's good news. The downside is he did not unblock, they did not unblock or rule on the mandate for healthcare workers. That still stays in place. And from what I understand, the reasoning being is that all these healthcare facilities receive Medicare, Medicaid money. So since they are receiving the Medicare, Medicaid money, therefore the government can then enforce the mandate. That sucks. Because you have a shortage of healthcare workers out there, and you've got plenty of healthy, they don't have the virus, or even if they did have it in the past, they are now autoimmune. And their healthcare workers out there perfectly willing to work, but are being barred from working because they won't get the jab. And does this make any sense to you, Vito? Uh, no, it doesn't. First of all, hospitals have more than 100 employees. Second of all, every hospital, uh, or I should say 99% of the hospitals in the United States, accept Medicare and Medicaid money. And if it's, un, if it's unconstitutional or, uh, for employer groups of 100 or more employees, it didn't specify, you know, it doesn't say um, retail stores. It doesn't say um, uh, uh, used car dealerships or car dealerships. It says employers with 100 or more employees. And, and the Supreme Court should have upheld this for all employer groups 100 or more, irrespective of receiving federal money, because it's just window dressing. You know, it's sound bites to say that uh, because you receive Medicare and Medicaid money, you're still subject to the overreach of the federal government and little dictator Joe. And it's not right. And I hope that I hope well, hospitals fight this one more time. Well, I hope they do. Uh, they're saying that because OSHA does, does not have the constitutional reach to put out mm-hmm. this regulation, to make this massive blanket. So the ruling would be the same. For say, for example, you're a, I don't know, a Taekwondo instructor, or if you are a cafeteria worker, or if you are a automotive uh, worker. They just did a blanket for everything. What the Supreme Court said is OSHA does have the ability to regulate the healthcare industry in this one specific area because it's narrowly defined. And that's how they're getting around it. But there's got to be challenges to it somewhere along the way because they've got perfectly healthy, good workers barred from working in their field, in their field of expertise and training that they spent a lot of money to get trained on. Meanwhile, you've got workers that have been vaccinated that are working in the hospitals that have COVID and they are interacting with patients and staff. Now, wait a minute. Does this make any sense at all? You've got perfectly healthy workers that don't have the the virus, and yet you are having people that had the jab have COVID still working. It's it's complete hypocrisy, and it's insanity. Yep. So people are going to the hospital. They could maybe go in there for a broken arm or a hernia or something like that, and they end up catching COVID from the workers in the hospital. So now they become a COVID statistic. Well, duh. Mm-hmm. You think? You think? I mean, I got sent to the hospital last month by my physical therapist because my blood pressure dropped dangerously low. 
It's like, I don't want to go. I really do not want to go. So I tried the doc in the box first. And the doc in the box turns around and says, no, you got to go to the ER. I did not want to go because I know I have a better chance of catching COVID going to the hospital than staying home. But then again, I had a better chance of, you know, <laughs> of dying because of extremely low blood pressure. So you, you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. And this makes absolutely no sense. Absolutely no sense. But that's the news of the day. It's, it's a reprieve for the average worker out there that was worried about not having a job. And think about all these truck drivers that were saying, well, if you force me to get the jab, I'm not driving. You know, I'd rather forget about doing the trucking business, do something else, or just stay home and collect the Biden paycheck, which is basically what it is out there right now, a Biden paycheck. You know, people, <laughs> do you realize that there are currently 4 million less people working today? And jobs are out there. There's something like 10.5 million job openings out there. But 4 million people less are working today than two years ago pre-pandemic. That says a lot about where our tax dollars are going. For these people that to voluntarily say, I'm not going to work. I'm going to get my Biden paycheck at home. I'll collect food stamps and Section 8 housing and get my free Obama phone and get the welfare that uh, Biden is handing out for me to stay home. For some people, it's worth more to them to not work than to work. And this oh, is a, that completely they, fast backwards. Isn't that what, um, what Biden, Harris, Obama wanted? Uh, they wanted people to be dependent upon the federal government once again, because when after, at the end of the Obama-Biden um, administration, you had nearly 50% of the American people dependent on food stamps and, and some sort of government handout. President Trump got that number down to the 30s under his policies and programs, and that didn't sit well for the Democrat Communist Party because they want people indentured to the federal government. And this is, what, this is the end result. We have, we have more people out for jobs. I drove into a gas station, not into the gas station, I drove to a gas station I, uh, that I go and get coffee at, I went to go in, and it was closed. It was a sign on the door that stated, closed due to no help, lack of help. Uh, gas pumps are, are on, and they're only taking, of course, credit cards. So, I mean, this should never happen. It should not have happened. No. This is no, ridiculous. You know, even, even here in South Carolina, we're fairly open. We're fairly open. Not as wide open as um, Florida. God bless DeSantis. Um, but we're fairly open, and... You go to a local restaurant, and, honey, you better be willing to take your time and wait for the food to come out. Because they can't get staff. They cannot yeah. get staff. You know, yeah. it used to be the idea, the idea was welfare to work. You know, you get a little mm-hmm. bit of a hand out until you get the hand up. And then you end mm-hmm. up back again, a part of the productive workforce, a, a productive part of our society. But instead, they want you to worship at the altar of government and not at the altar of God. And you you think about this. At the height of the pandemic, religious institutions were forced to close. And in some instances, pastors were arrested. 
congregants were summoned or arrested for even attending a service while they sat in their car and listened to the service on the car radio. Now, that's how ridiculous it was. No, no, no. You cannot worship anything else other than government. This is full-blown socialism. There's no other way to describe it. Full-blown, no-holds-barred, pure socialism. And that's what they want. They want us to become another communist party. Yeah. It's profitable. I mean, it gives gives Washington, D.C. more power. Um, they, They realize that if they instill enough fear, people become fearful and people become dependent. And that's exactly what's happened. People have the fear that's being instilled on people. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. People still driving in their cars with a mask on. Oh, my God, I can't believe this. This is insane what's happening. I mean, I just yeah, – and, and there's no accountability, right? I mean, you know, bumbling Biden gets away with everything. Where is the media to hold this, this, this guy accountable for his lying, his misinformation, and the campaign of disinformation that has been go- ongoing since January 20th, 2021? Oh, my God. It's, it's just incredible. And, and how dare you say the word Republican? You're a terrorist, yeah. don't you know that? You are a domestic terrorist. <laughs> I mean, did you catch that, uh, that that Martin Luther King speech that he gave at the memorial? I'm like, if, if, if anyone wanted to be slapped in the face, he just slapped the face of every single member of the silent majority. And folks, if you sat there and just took it, then you deserve it. No, no, no. You've got to get up. You've got to speak out. And you've got to say no. That's not civil discourse. To turn around and label every God-loving, law-abiding American a domestic terrorist. It was bad enough they did that to parents speaking up at school board. But it spilled mm-hmm. out of the school board. And now it's anyone, excuse me, pardon me, anyone who has the audacity to speak out and speak their mind and speak to the power of truth. How dare you, you bigot, you racist, you Republican? Boo. It's yep. crazy. Yep. It is crazy. Why do you think why do you think they were so intent on, on getting rid of Trump? Because Trump started opening people's eyes. And when when the black community, uh, black Americans finally saw what was happening and, and they had an advocate in the, in the White House like Donald Trump. They, it, it, they were stepping outside the box and realizing that the Democrat Communist Party was doing nothing but using them as a soundbite and slogans in order to further their radical anti-American agenda. And, and, and you know what? It's, we, shouldn't be, we shouldn't be separated by, by that identity. But it's about time that, that people start waking up and seeing that the, what's happening in D.C., they don't have our interest at heart anymore, not we the people. They have they, them, and, and, and only them's interest at heart. And it's how they can enrich themselves rather than try to work for the American people. Yeah. Yeah. You know how much money we are in debt? And the Fed is just going to keep on printing it and printing it and printing it. You know, it, it's we are in um, in a time that I never thought we would see this nation come to. 
where everything is upside down and backwards. Left is right, right is left, up is down, down is up. And there's no other way to explain what they have done to this nation. Where, you know, you have a president that used to be controlled by, not controlled, but the balance of powers between the legislative, judicial, and the executive branch. We had a balance of powers. We no longer have that. It looks like we've got our guests calling in, so let's get the libertarian side. Because we already know Republican is a dirty word. Let's welcome to the show Tom <laughs> Mullen. And Tom, actually, I have something just for you. I keyed up, and I just could not resist this. Goes to show you how much of my research I really do, and I can't. Re- I have to do this. I'm going to do this to you, Tom. Here we go. Come on. Everybody wants to change the world There's so much that they want to do They say we all have got to get together I wonder if they thought that through They say a central plan is what we need to overcome all this thoughtless greed all for one and one for all we've got to have a single mind they say we can't pursue so welcome to the show tom mullen good afternoon tom how are you doing today <laughs> great thank you you're gonna ruin your ears with that <laughs> stuff you kids <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, uh, I don't know if AJ told you, but when I when I bring someone on like you that have a great book out there, it's called It's the Fed Stupid. Um, <laughs> I love reading that. Uh, but when I do my research, I do my research. When I came across this, I said, no, I, I have to. I really do have to get this guy. <laughs> well, it was so 60 soundish. Is that, that, that what you intended with the 60 sounds? I don't know. I, I just kind of do whatever comes out, and, uh, you know, that's probably the, all the guitar I can possibly play is on that one track because I usually get somebody better to do the hard stuff. So uh, maybe that's why it came out that way. <laughs> oh, man. We were just uh, – I've got a guest co-host, Vito Esposito. He's got his own show, Mamma Mia No Sharia, uh, here. Um, so he's guest host co-hosting because my normal co-host Curtis is out doing a book signing where you probably should be doing (laughs) but you have a new book out Uh, matter of fact you can't find it on Amazon and uh, you do have it up on your website it's called it's the fed stupid what got you to write this book and you know there's a couple things I will pick some uh, bones with you on that Um, I'm a leader of the tea party in my county here since 2009 and we were yelling about the Fed back in 2009, 2012. We have been yelling about the Fed. So I wouldn't say the Tea Party is not on the same page as you. I think vast majority of, of them are, but not many are speaking out about it. Yeah, well, if that's true, that's good to hear. Uh, just a, one little caveat. It, it is actually available in paperback on Amazon. 
you can't have a Kindle and give it away for free, but you can, you can buy a paperback. And if you go to itsthefedstupid.com, you can download the book for free, or you can buy the paperback, or you could do both. So, um, so uh, it's there. But the, the reason I wrote the book is <clears throat> it seems increasingly, num- number one, that on all sides of the political spectrum, we're falling into kind of the anti-capitalism of maybe like the 1930s, uh, where we got the New Deal and we've never recovered from. Um, and, you know, the Fed, in the meantime, is the most destructive economically um, economic institution we have. It causes most of our problems and most of the things that people fight vehemently for, maybe not your Tea Party group, but most people, um, are, are not going to make a difference. They haven't made a difference. We, and, and in the book, I try to show the proof. Look, here are the charts. Show me where this new policy came in. You can't, but I can show you on the chart where the Fed inflated and where the Fed tightened, and they take us on this roller coaster, and we don't have to live like this, and it's very destructive. hurts the little people. The billionaires always come out smell like a rose. Well, you know, our founding fathers did not deliberately create a central bank. And if I remember my history correctly, because I did a show on this, oh, geez, maybe about 10 years ago, um, that if Alexander Hamilton was the one that really pushed for a centralized bank. But we've had several of them that failed. And then after a while, we got away from the centralized banking, and we had such a boom and prosperity. So why did we end up going back to a centralized bank? And not even one that is controlled by the government, but by private bankers. Well, and it's funny that you brought up Hamilton. I just had uh, the author of Hamilton's Curse on my own show uh, on Monday or Wednesday. No, it was Wednesday. And uh, here's the, the history behind it is, yeah, Hamilton and the Federalists wanted it. They got their bank. It went out of business. Uh, Madison, who opposed it um, correctly with Jefferson for being unconstitutional, then signs the second one into existence. It gets killed by Andrew Jackson. And really, we had that whole period of free banking. But here's the problem. After the Federalists, as a party, went away, they they were succeeded by a party called the Whigs. And the Whigs wanted the same thing as the Federalists, which was a central bank, high protectionist tariffs, and, you know, what we now call government infrastructure. You know, at the time, the roads were all built by private companies. They weren't just built by them. They were owned by private companies, and they were a lot better. Well, when the Civil War came around, the Republicans, the Whig Party went away. The Republican Party is born, and it's born on two principles. Everything the Whigs wanted, and Lincoln was a a lifelong Whig, plus abolition of slavery. Now, of course, they couldn't have been more right about abolition of slavery but everything else they stood for they were all wrong about and but because they were so dominant after the civil war for 50 60 years they were able to institute what uh hamilton and and henry clay called the american system and you know that was high tariffs and uh government boondoggles also known as infrastructure and the last plank was the central bank a republican idea that was signed into law by Woodrow Wilson, but something the Republicans had been after for half a century. Well, if we were to get rid of the uh, the Fed, 
what would we put in its place to help regulate the economy so we don't have this up and down, back and forth, that we have a, a even currency, bring back the gold standard. Thank you, Richard Nixon. Yeah, right. Yeah, there's a great Thomas Cole uh, once wrote, you know, anybody who questions a, a government program that's a complete failure can be expected to be asked, what would you replace it with? And then he says, when you put out a fire, what do you replace it with? <laughs> so we've replaced it with the free market and sound money. And, um, you know, we wouldn't have to have this huge disruption. We could just uh, allow for competing currencies, which means take the uh, uh, capital gains and sales taxes off gold, silver, Bitcoin, whatever currency alternatives there are out there, and let the market choose our, our currency just like it did the dollar back when it was backed by silver or gold. Well, you know, what I found was interesting is that once we got rid of, you know, the central bank in the 1800s, the dollar increased in value by at least 50%. So what you would spend $100 on, a generation later, you're only spending a little over $50 on. Now, how do prices shrink? We're so accustomed to always seeing prices go up, up, up. We never see them roll back, except under Trump with gasoline. Right. And, you know, this is what most people consider a fact of life, and they never stop to think, wait a minute, we were always getting more productive. I mean, some Democrats were running on the idea that nobody would ever have a job again because there's so much automation. Well, that should be driving prices downward. And that's what happened during the Industrial Revolution, during the 19th century, because the gold standards uh, restrained the currency. And I'm not saying it has to be a gold standard, but there has to be something. And, um, and prices fell over time. And this is two things. Number one, this is why there was no proletariat revolution. You know, they, they treated this like a big mystery, the communists in the early 20th century. How come no one's revolting? Well, no one's revolting because their lives are far better because of capitalism, because of the Industrial Revolution, and a big part of that was the honest monetary system. Their money increased in value over time, so they could just save it up. They didn't have to play the stock market and, you know, risk all their savings and be in the control of these bankers, uh, which is where we are now. That's what people have to realize. Life could be so much different with just that one change. And instead, we're being ripped off. Every day, every minute, wealth is being transferred from the 99% up to the 1%. So the Occupy Wall Streeters had the right people in mind, but they just didn't know why it was really happening. It's not freedom that causes that. It's the central bank. The central bank is a central planning institution. It's socialist. Karl Marx wanted one. That should tell you everything. Well, you know, it is a very, very interesting book. Um, But, you know, it's amazing. The biggest employer in the United States, it's not the military, it's the federal government. If you stop and think about that. So, you know, where is private industry? At one point, government was supposed to be extremely limited. They were only supposed to be up there part-time, not full-time, not 24-7 and not running every part of our life. 
That's how our founders originally envisioned it. But over time, once they create a federal agency, it never goes away. And that's another problem we have. So the, the Fed now, an arm of the federal government, is never going to go away. Will no, it? nothing the government – no, right. And, and, of course, when you have the ability to um, just issue bonds in ad infinitum, as many as you want, the debt can get as big as you want, that's only because we have this bank and we have the privilege right now – of printing the reserve currency. So not only can we print up this money, but we can kind of slough off a lot of the pain onto other countries. Now, you know, here's another little factoid. I don't even know if I have this in the book. It might be in there. But everyone's somewhat aware that between 1990 and 2010 or 20, I believe, um, world poverty, extreme poverty, fell by like 90% across the world. Why? Because Country after country, China was a big part of it, but also in Africa and other places, stopped being socialist and, and instituted market economies. They weren't laissez-faire, but they're a lot more capitalist than they used to be. That created all kinds of new demand for dollars, and that has allowed us to abuse our own, you know, the dollar like we have, or I should say like the Federal Reserve has. Uh, that might be coming to an end. We finally found if you actually quintuple the money supply in two years, maybe you'll finally start to see the effects of uh, that, which is higher prices. Well, now, I'm, again, I'm pulling stuff out of the back of my head, remembering history as I was taught it properly. Uh, there was a time where people feared the banks, you know, thank you to the Great Depression. So you, we hear stories all the time about finding money kept in the attic or in the wall or in the mattress. People feared banks. They really didn't use them. So we had a lot more bartering as well as you know, exchange of currency. We have now become so dependent, and people have now, and I am to blame, used my credit for more than I would normally do. Back then, people didn't really use credit. You paid as you went. If you ran a, a tab up at the store, you paid it at the end of the week. But we have become so plastic hungry that we are causing our own harm more than anything else. Yeah, I mean, you've just hit on another great evil of having a system like ours, an unbacked currency in a central bank, is it keeps you out there always with – all the incentives are to borrow and consume, and there's no say, uh, incentive to save and invest. I mean, you can't put your money in a bank and just leave it there because they're paying you 1%, and the inflation rate was 7% last year, so you're losing money. But if you borrow it, um, you're actually paying back uh, less than you borrowed because the dollars you pay back in the future are worth less, depending on how low you can get your interest rate. So. Yeah, I mean, there's terrible incentives. And the other thing that I think a lot of people aren't as aware of is that not only does the central bank make prices go up over time when they should be going down, but it also causes all these booms and busts. The Great Depression was the first example of the Fed blowing up a big bubble, and then it pops, and then, you know, we have a big disaster. And this is so destructive because all that – that what we call malinvestment, 
things that were invested in the wrong place because of artificially low interest rates, entrepreneurs being deceived to think there's more savings out there than there is. When, when that all comes down and people are unemployed for a year, well, look at what happened. Let, let's just say you're 25 years old and you're in the housing frenzy in the mid-2000s. And you say, I'm going to go into housing. And you spend two or three years you know, in the housing uh, industry. You learn, you, you know, get promoted, or you start your own little subcontractor, whatever. And then it all goes boom, and you find out, you know what? There was never real demand for more people in that industry in the first place. You've just wasted 10% of your life on something that there's no demand for. Now you've got to go learn something new. This is catastrophic for the average person. Uh, so it's not just higher prices, but then you also get higher prices at the end to make it even harder on you. Not to mention you've got to find a new job and get new training and start all over again. So you know, it's not just at the top you know, where these macroeconomic factors, you know, go, go underwater for five or six years, but it's also the average person. It just destroys them. It's just the most evil institution in the world. Well, you throw in a runaway government like we have, and it, thank you, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Go ahead, Vito. Uh, Tom, this is Vito, and thank you for, for coming on. In your book, um, the second chapter, you have the Federal Reserve runs the economy. Um, for Many Americans don't know what the role of the Federal Reserve is, other than you hear some sound bites on, on some uh, financial shows. But how is it that the Federal Reserve runs the economy? Well, they have so much power over outcomes that the policies of politicians – much less the choices of, you know, individual market actors, pale in comparison to the things that they can do. So, you know, people have these fairy tales that they elected a president and the president did something to make the economy better. I mean, that's just not there when you look at the data. The data shows that you can't tell when one president went, you know, came in and the other one left when you really pull back and look at 20-year cycles. But you can tell when the Fed was inflating. So when they, when they just, you know, do things like quantitative easing, I mean, that's a new version. What they used to do is just buy treasury bonds and say they were lowering the interest rate. They don't just wave a wand. They would buy treasury bonds, uh, and that would, by buying those bonds from their, from their banks, that would put more cash out into the economy. And, well, how does that affect the interest rate? Well, it's just supply and demand. If there's more cash then you don't have to pay as much to borrow dollars as if there were less cash. And then when they want to tighten, they would just um, uh, sell those securities. They'd make, and of course the banks don't have a choice but to buy them. And the money would come back into the Fed. So it would be taken out of the economy, and that would raise interest rates. So that's how they used to do it. After the big catastrophe in 08, I mean, there's a technicality. It doesn't make much difference, but... All these reserves built up in the Federal Reserve banks. They never had big reserves before. So now what the Fed does is it pays them interest, which it never did before 2008. And it's kind of the same thing, you know, by, by paying them 1%, they know they won't lend out their money at, more, at less than 1%, and that raises the rate to one and a quarter, whatever, and vice versa. Same effect. More money in the economy, less, and this is what – produces these outcomes that Bill Clinton takes credit for or 
Ronald Reagan or George Bush or, you know, Donald Trump for that matter um, really didn't make much of a difference. So the Federal you know, Reserve the has, Fed... has, is making money. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry? I just, when he, I just when you said the uh, they charge the 1%, so the Federal Reserve is actually making money. When you say making money, um, it, it's not really a matter that they profit at our expense because they dump all their profits back into the Treasury. It's, it's more of a central planning thing. But making money is a good way to put it. They create it out of thin air, which means if you're holding $10,000 in your account and they just create a trillion new dollars, well, your $10,000 is not worth the same amount anymore that it was before they created that. Now, it's not a one-to-one trade-off. You know, there's lots of moving parts, but they are diminishing your purchasing power. If they want to give purchasing power to someone else, there's no magic, right? Um, it's got to be coming from someone. It's coming from you. It's coming from everybody who saves and does the right thing is being punished so other people can go out and gamble. Now, gambling is okay when you call entrepreneurial investment, but you're supposed to take losses when you do a bad job. We don't have that anymore. You know, the, the investor class loses money, they get bailed out. If they make money, they get to keep it. And it's all done at your expense. It's a scam, and you're the victim. Yeah. Um, there's so much to, to absorb in your book because you really do get detail-oriented on it. And you put in the book the, the purpose of the Fed, and there's four things that you listed here uh, into four general areas. Uh, conducting the nation's monetary policy by influencing the monetary and credit conditions in the economy uh, in pursuit of, and I like this part, maximum employment, stable prices, and moderate long-term interest rates. I mean, that's a mouthful to begin with, but where are the fallacies in, in the Fed taking responsibility for this? Well, I mean, the first thing that everybody takes for granted, and I don't understand it, especially non-socialists, <laughs> whether they be you know, liberal Democrats, conservative Republicans, libertarians, None of this should be centrally planned. The market should be determining everything you just said. So that's the first thing, is that it's a problem that they're even trying to do this or are allowed to do this. These should be market prices that are happening in the economy. But the other problem is there's an inherent contradiction between maximum employment and um, stable prices. Um, not in a free market economy, but in a manipulated economy, if they're going to try to maximize employment, and of course this is completely arbitrary, there is no, you know, law of nature that says 3% should be unemployed at any given time. Yeah, it used to be 5. Then when it got down to 3, they were being asked, well, why are you still inflating if <laughs> we were at maximum employment? <laughs> and they really had no answer for that, right? And now it's back down to 5, and, and Powell was just asked in December, right? I sat through his press conference, so you didn't have to. And they was asked this question, well, what is maximum employment, right? And uh, he, he said it's a judgment call. Oh, great, okay. Oh, See, really, oh. it's, it's a fairy tale, right? It's, we don't know, and no central planner can know how many people should be between jobs, looking for a better one, how many should be employed. These are all things that the market should determine. Well, the funny thing is, is that the more people that are employed – 
then that means that the employers have to pay out more money to have them employed, including benefits, and then whatever goods they're producing are, have to go up in price to make up for the additional monies the employer is employing so we could have maximum employment. Am I getting this right? Well, I mean, that's going to be overcome in a laissez-faire market where we don't have a central planner by the increased productivity. So, yes, of course, you're right that, you know, as you get down to um, less and less people out there in the unemployed pool, you may have to start to pay more and more to get them in the door, depending on why they're unemployed. I mean, when, when you get down that low, all other things being equal, it might be people who either don't need to work, but you're trying to coax them to work, or people who just left another job and are going to a new job for because they're going to pay them more. Like every most people of some time in their life said, hey, I got a better job. I'm quitting. Uh, so, you know, rarely is that uh, you, you walk out the door from your employer, get in your car and drive to your other employer. There's some time where you're un, unemployed, maybe a week, maybe a day, whatever. So, um, anyway, uh, no, it doesn't have to force prices up because, again, if you took away the Fed and all of the um, malfeasance that it's engaged in and you just, you know, you had a stable monetary market-discovered currency – like the dollar originally was, it was chosen by people. You know, and I don't want to get too uh, just off this to the side, but the dollar actually used to be a Spanish coin. If anyone's uh, familiar with the term pieces of eight, it's because they used to have a, a Spanish silver coin uh, named the dollar that uh, you could cut up in eight pieces. And then that's why people called 25 cents two bits. If you watch a black and white movie, they'd say, ah, I got two bits. That's 25 cents. It was two of the eight pieces of the pieces of eight of the Spanish dollar. And and in early in colonial and early America, because there was always a currency shortage, you know, there was lots of different coins floating around, and it uh, gradually the market adopted the Spanish dollar. So when they wrote the first currency act, they just said, well, we'll just copy the Spanish dollar, basically. We'll make our own dollar a lot like that one because people seem to like it. So it was chosen by the market, and we could have that again. Again, just give, give the Federal Reserve notes some competition. The Fed says we're managing it better than the market could do. All right, let's give the market a chance. Of course, they'll never do that. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> um, well, we're running out of time here, Tom. We'd love to have more time with you. Uh, your book is called It's the Fed Stupid. And they can find it by going to your website because you've got a couple of different ones besides it's the Fed Stupid website, but also your name, Tom Mullen, M-U-L-L-E-N dot com, where they can pick up the book and read it for themselves. It's a short read. It's only less than 120 pages, uh, but it's worthwhile to understand what is going on out there and being able to help see if we can probably end the Fed. Because if you look back at history, at one point in our country, Individual states had their own banks and currencies, and it became unified under one, and boy, have we made a mess of it, <laughs> to say the least. And, and just look at where the real wages of the common people went up the most dramatically. It's when we didn't have that bank. By the way, the, the website is Um You Tom Mullen.com is not me. Oh, okay. I apologize. 
Yeah. All right, so I'll make no sure problem. I change that. But people can pick up your book, as you said, for free or buy the paperback. So I'm telling you, it's a must-read. God bless you for the hard work you do, sir. I appreciate it and appreciate being on your show. Take care, Tom. All right, I hope to have you back. All right, Tom Mullen, check me out. It's the Fed, stupid. All right, and Vito, I've got to go and call out to our next guest, so you're going to have to take over for me for a few moments until I can bring him in, okay? Ah, okay. So then we'll just talk about the uh, the headlines of today. Okay. Of course, was uh, uh, the big issue is is Joe Biden now has has decided that mandates. Joe Biden's mandate to employers with 100 or more was shut down because it was unconstitutional. So Biden is asking business leaders to go ahead and do it themselves. Um, And so much for the rule of law. Uh, The slogan by the Democrat Communist Party has been the rule of law. We've heard Obama use that slogan at ad nauseum. We've heard uh, Hillary Clinton use that term at ad nauseum. And, of course, uh, little dictator Joe Biden has been using that that uh, term as well, uh, the rule of law. And now the rule of law has been spoken. And suddenly, um, Joe Biden doesn't care about the rule of law. Imagine that, the executive branch of, of – I'm sorry, the judicial branch of government um, issues a an opinion, renders an opinion, and determines that what was – unilaterally decided by dictator Joe Biden uh, for OSHA to overreach and overstep their boundaries is really not, um, it's not constitutional in Joe Biden's eyes. Very troubling at this point, very troubling that uh, Joe Biden would, would tell businesses to bypass the decision by the United States Supreme Court. Um, this is this is unconscionable. Uh, this is un-American. This is anti-constitutional. And basically, isn't it treasonous by the President of the United States, who has taken an oath of office to protect and defend the Constitution? And it goes to what the Democrat Party is about today. It's not about the Constitution. It is about government's self-preservation and government's overreach. It's about dismantling the United States Constitution. Just, I'll just never forget when, uh, what was the journalist's name, a rest in peace, um, stated that in October of 2009, he stated that Barack Obama will systematically dismantle the U.S. Constitution. And that's exactly what we're seeing today. Um, Joe Biden has put it on fast track. He is, he is myopic. He's got blinders on. He's turned off his hearing aids. And he really doesn't care about what is occurring here in the United States. And uh, unfortunately for a country that was based on capitalism and free enterprise, to have somebody that is anti-constitutional, anti-capitalistic, and anti-free enterprise telling business leaders that they need to, to not adhere to what the U.S. Constitution state or what the Supreme Court has rendered, it's just, I, it, I, I'm sorry, but this is not America that we grew up in. <laughs> it's not what we grew up in. And it's, it's just unconscionable that 
that this would would uh, would take hold. And I'm sure that uh, Baghdad Bob Jensaki is is uh, putting a spin on this, um, and they'll want you know OSHA to um, uh, to still enforce rules that you can't do. So. Um, well, I'm back. We don't we don't have okay. Lieutenant Colonel. Oh, I tried calling the number, and all I did was just it just kept on ringing, ringing, ringing. So I don't know what's going oh. on there. Okay. So That's a, we just got to oh. wing it, wing it. All right. But uh, hopefully he calls in. Let me see if I. Can. Well, what I'm looking for is the email with the confirmation on it. And would you know that even my cell phone is acting up? I was like, me and electronics today are just not getting along. Yeah. Not getting along in the least bit. Oh, man. Oh, you know, that's what uh, George Soros, you know, backed uh, many of the state attorneys in, in the United States in, in uh, like Baltimore Orlando, Los Angeles, um, St. Louis. Uh, so it appears that uh, a Soros-backed uh, Baltimore State's attorney, Marilyn Mosby, is being, has been indicted on four felony accounts. Um, just uh, that's an interesting uh, issue if you saw that. But uh, George, speaking of a cancer, George Soros has been a cancer on our republic. And uh, Mosby was among the first law enforcement officials supported by left-wing billionaire George Soros in his quest to remake the criminal justice system in the United States. Uh, federal prosecutors alleged that Mosby lied to falsify obtain a withdrawal from her savings account based on a policy related to the coronavirus pandemic. She's also accused of lying on a mortgage application for the home purchase. Um, and the purchase was to purchase a home in Florida. Now, isn't that something? Even, even the, the Baltimore state's attorney doesn't want to live in Baltimore, Maryland. And yet she's falsified. Go ahead. Hi, Annie. <laughs> yeah, I'm here. I'm here. I was just sending a message <laughs> off to uh, Tony's agent to let him know that we tried calling him. The phone just rang and no one picked up. But yeah, there's, there's so much crap going on out there. But, you know, it's funny how everyone is moving to Florida. You know, there yeah. is a saying we have down here in the South. We don't give a damn how you did it up north. So leave, leave that, <laughs> that, that blue crap up there. You know, don't, don't bring it down. Don't bring your politics down here with, with you. You know, we, we don't care how you did it up there. What we do care about is how we live here. And that's why we're here. Because we love the red state. We love our freedoms. We love a government that's fairly responsible. No government is all responsible, but fairly responsible. We don't have gruesome, newsome type of policies going on. Do you like that, that title for now, for the governor of uh, California? Gruesome, newsome? <laughs> gruesome, newsome. That's right. That's right. Yeah, leave your politics in the state that you left you know, or you fled. And uh, I mean, if you're going to a you know a state like Texas, Tennessee, or or Florida, or South Carolina for that matter, leave your leave your politics um, of dependency in California, in New York, in New Jersey. You know, when you get down to Florida, or you get you know you get down to Texas, because they these these red states know how to do it, 
And I'll tell you, you know, seeing how much Florida is open, um, isn't it incredible or amazing that even, you know, Alexandria Cortez comes down to Florida? Oh, boy, that's right. I'm sorry, Vito. She was visiting her aunt and her mother, but she's out there drinking and having a great time at bars. And here it is. She she, uh, contracts the China virus, but yet she comes to Florida for vacation. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And it was Eric Swalwell. So, you know, of course, DeSantis says, you know, it's amazing how everyone comes to escape to Florida. (laughs) You know, DeSantis does not, he doesn't miss a beat. God bless him. No, he he does not miss a beat. You know, so we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens because here we're fairly open, like I said, in South Carolina. And uh, the county, our county council was debating whether or not to bring back the mask mandates. But they seem to have remembered the heat they took last time. So they publicly told the newspaper, no, we're not going to go back to a mask mandate. Thank you. Thank you. The omnivirus is, is, is showing that it's far weaker than the Delta variation or any other prior variation of the COVID. It's starting to peter out. And you know what? Even the left is starting to notice there's a difference here. It's starting to peter out. And now they're also holding uh, Health and Human Services responsible for a correct count of a death that was COVID-related or a, a death that occurred when a person had COVID, but COVID did not cause the death. It is starting to differentiate between that. Or if you get admitted to the hospital for a broken arm, as I said earlier, and you end up contracting COVID, you didn't go there because you had COVID. You went there because you had a broken arm. So the statistics should show you went for a broken arm. Yep. But they've been fudging yep. the numbers. And the more they fudge the numbers, the more federal dollars. Our tax dollars, folks. We go. Mm. Talking about tax dollars. uh, I just can't can't get over the the numbers, okay, of this, of the whole, with regards to the coronavirus. Um, You know, we've got, in in our country, we have, what, 330 million people in the country. And and you would think that since March 20th, I'm sorry, March of 2020, um, you know, the hysteria that has been, been uh, instilled in people in America, um, we've had a total of 65,000 cases, and it, it surged with the, with the Omicron virus because, you know, and again, with the virus, um, it, it wasn't as severe as the Delta variant. But, you know, you look at uh, 333,977,000 people in America and 65,000 cases, 65 million cases of, of the China virus, 869,000 deaths. And to your point, how many deaths were COVID-related? You know, that's yeah, How many were question. clearly from COVID? Right. And I see people coming in on in the studio. So if it is our guest we're waiting, please press the number one on your dial pad. That way I know that you're looking to come on because I just see a Skype number and I don't know who that is. But if you are listening in, then thank you for joining the show. Our guest co-host today is Vito Esposito of Mamma Mia No Sharia here on Blog Talk Radio. And I'm your hostess with the least mostest today, the most confused individual on the planet, <laughs> and eat the radio chicken tea. 
man. Talk about nutty, nutty Yankees. And I used to be one of them. Um, did you catch this one about a professor? Uh, oh, actually, it wasn't a uh, Florida University professor. I, why was I think this guy was up in, uh, in New Jersey? It sounds like something that, that would happen in New Jersey. Um, a Florida University professor was offering 10 extra credits for any student who got the jab. And Whoa. all of a sudden, the Epic Times learned about that. So they made a phone call to the university, and lo and behold, they yanked it. Uh, the professor's name is Diana Taylor, and it was for her introduction to leadership classes at the University of North Florida. So she was, she was saying that they were offering the students the extra points if they get the COVID vaccinations by midnight on April 30th. So there was a time deadline. So Epic Times made a phone call and they said, oops, no, 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 this isn't, this isn't university policy. Not a good idea. <laughs> you like that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. I mean, so paying extra credits to get the jab. I mean, you want to talk about influencing people? I mean, mm-hmm. why don't you just pay people to vote? Uh, right? Wait a minute, wait a minute. I mean, uh, weren't they doing that uh, – was it uh, wasn't just Soros? I think it was Zuckerberg or, or someone else that um, they would pay the restitution um, of any felon so that they could have the felon yes. then start to vote. Yep. Didn't this go on? Yeah, for the twenty twenty elections. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they did. They were paying the restitution that the that the felon needed to pay in order to get his, his or her voting rights reinstated. Yes. Mm-hmm. And somehow that was okay. That was all right. You know, it's okay when the left wing does these anti-constitutional and illegal acts, you know, bang, bang. And, you know, and then and there's nothing to see here. <laughs> no, nothing to see. And of course, no one, no one got prosecuted, but we have the July, the January 6th, People still behind bars more than a year later. Very few of them have ever been tried. And some of them have been tortured so badly they just said, I'm going to plead guilty just for this to stop. And now they have, what was it, um, Oath Keepers are, have been indicted. Yeah. Have you caught that one? Yes, I did. I did. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to make of Oath Keepers, but I, it, I, I'm finding that Oath Keepers seems to be a punching bag for the left wing. And uh, mm-hmm. interesting, interesting. Yeah. So, you know, the Oath Keepers, I had the article here, and I was looking at it last night, and I slipped it somewhere, and I don't know where I put it. But the Oath Keepers... Yeah, so one person now is being charged with sedition. One person now who has been detained by the federal government has been charged with sedition, and and their Sixth Amendment rights have been violated um, for a fast and speedy trial. As a matter of fact, each and every person that's being detained by the Biden-Harris-Obama administration, their Sixth Amendment rights have been violated. And there's no, it's okay. You know, it's, it's okay. It, it seems like the Constitution means nothing to these people. No, it, it doesn't, unfortunately. And uh, where, where is it? Uh I, just, I, have, I don't even know it. 
Now, because I noticed something like uh, it was about 13 of them have been indicted. Oh, here we go. 11. 11. Hang on a second. I found it. I found it. I'm not nuts. All right. Um, 11 Oath Oath Keepers. Actually, 11 of them have been charged with sedition. And this is up Mm. in the Epic Times, if anyone wants to go and pull it up, um, which is available online. And let me see. Joseph Hanneman uh, wrote the article. And here we go. Uh, The indictment, which was unsealed yesterday, brings the first January 6, 2021, related charges against Elmer Stewart Rhodes III, Edward Vejeo, with counts of seditious conspiracy and four other charges. Um, Rhodes is the founder of Oath Keepers, which anyone who knows anything about Oath Keepers, it's a coalition of... Uh, military and law enforcement. You know, if you swore, you raised your hand to swear to uphold the Constitution of the United States, if you were a law enforcement officer, you did that. If you joined the military, you did that. Hence the term oath keeper. The premise is, is that you would stand to uphold and defend the Constitution. You swore an oath to do it. So you're keeping that oath. That's basically what the oath keepers are. But but the left, because we are upholding the Constitution, we're bad. It's like, you're a Republican. You're a racist. They put the mm-hmm. label on them. These are law-abiding men and women who swore to uphold the Constitution as their duty. The indictment also includes new charges against nine previously charged defendants. Thomas Caldwell, Joseph Hackett, Kenneth Harrelson, uh, Joshua James. Uh, Kelly Meggs, Roberto Minuta, uh, David Marshall, Brian Ulrich, and Jessica Watkins. Uh, there are also additional charges in them. Uh, in addition to their previous charges, they're also being charged with seditious conspiracy. So it's a total of, of 11 that they finally brought charges of seditious conspiracy. I'd like to see how the heck they're going to make that hold up. Mm-hmm. I want to know because Don't lie. these people were they didn't go in there with guns and they didn't try to overthrow the government and I before this whole thing happened in January 6th it was I think about a week before that protest I was saying that I was getting word from the street that Antifa and Black Lives Matter were putting up vans with change of clothes in there and with weapons. Now, how is it that these peaceful protesters that were just attending the Trump rally walk peacefully, of course, and these are senior citizens, these are parents with kids and strollers, you know, everyday Americans suddenly turn into this huge riot. Now, how is it that we've never had identified who the individuals were that were taking down the fences and removing the do not trespass signs? Now, who ordered the officers to escort these individuals into the rotunda at the Capitol? And that one guy, um, the QAnon guy with the horns? Yeah. No, no, not Ray Epps. No, no, not Not Ray Epps. QAnon guy. The QAnon guy. Um, He gets escorted. A police officer escorts him, shows him around. And yet this guy is going to do hard time behind bars he needs he needs mental health yes mental health yes 
being put in prison? No. So, I mean, but we had the rioters that went on a rampage in D.C. and in other cities around the nation when Trump was sworn in. No one was ever prosecuted. You had Madonna standing there on the steps of the Capitol saying she thinks about bombing the White House. My goodness, I was there at the inauguration, and the officers were just making sure that we were safe. And they kept the protesters as far away from us as possible. But no one was ever prosecuted. And yet, how many over 700 have been arrested from Mm -hmm. the January 6th incident? And you're, you're finding people having their homes raided, and all they did was just attend the Trump rally, never made it to the Capitol? And also their homes are being raided? Police. Something's wrong here. Something is really, really wrong here. But that's, that's well, what we're, who, we've gotten. Who was it that, that thought of the enemy, uh, as the Republicans as the enemy? Who was it? It was Barack Obama and it was the, the Biden, uh, Joe Biden administration back in, uh, from 2009 to 2016. They, they deemed the political opposition to be the enemy, and it's exactly what Biden is doing right now. And you, gotta, you have to know that, or you have to believe anyways, that, that Obama has his hands on this because suddenly anybody who, who opposes this administration are considered the enemy and they're considered enemy combatants or combatants of the United States. And I'm reading the AP ver, um, uh, story on, on the Oath Keepers, and they define sedition. Sedition is seditious conspiracy occurs when two or more people in the United, United States conspire to overthrow, put down, or destroy by force the U.S. government or to levy war against it or oppose by force and try to prevent the execution of any law. Well, I... I it doesn't appear that uh, there was any armed conflict to overthrow the government. It was uh, by the Oath Keepers. Didn't, no one was armed. The only one that was armed was the uh, officer who shot and killed Ashley Babbitt. Mm-hmm. You know, exactly. so this tells me that the, that the Biden administ- Biden-Harris administration are totalitarians. They are going to suppress and they are going to beat down who they perceive to be the enemy. And the enemy or anybody who is a conservative, who is a Trump supporter, and who doesn't tow the, the establishment Republican line. You know, um, I made an observation a while back, and all of a sudden someone looked at me and he goes, you know what? That makes sense. You ever notice that it wasn't until Obama was running for office for the presidency that suddenly the media has defined Democrats as blue and Republicans as red. And I said, Mm -hmm. that was done deliberately. Think about it. Which color is calming? Which color makes you feel calm, safe, secure? The blue color. What color speaks angry? What speaks blood? What speaks Mm. radical? Red. What is the color of communism? Red. So you assign Republicans red, so all you have to do is look at the color and know it's bad, and the soothing color of blue for Democrats. So you're more likely to vote Democrat because you feel comforted by the color. I said it was done deliberately. You think about that, you know. 
how better to I, I agree 100%. People? We had um, when you were out. Um, who was it? Was CS uh, not CS? Um, the gentleman, well, uh, Curtis's friend, was on uh, book, fellow book writing friend, and he said he, he actually uh, pointed out. Go ahead. Uh, R, uh, no, go RC, ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. So he he pointed out that the reason why Democrats use the term. Uh, democracy is because they don't want to say republic. Republican can be associated with Republicans. And it's why that you have Obama, Biden, Clinton, Pelosi, Schumer, all refer to the United States as a democracy. And, and they don't want to say the word republic because then it's a positive connotation that equates it to Republicans. And that, I believe, is also because the Democrats don't do anything by accident. Everything they do is planned and focus group. And I'm sure that the use of the term republic then would, would give a positive connotation to Republicans. And, it, and it's the point of the Democrat Communist Party to, to bury the Republicans. Um, when the Democrats are in the minority, they dictate and they demand that they're their way or no way. And then when they're in the majority, it's their way or no way, and Republicans are completely shut out. And then you have Biden blaming Republicans for, you know, the economic issues that we're having today. And it's absolutely a joke. It's absolutely a joke. It is. It is. But I'm fighting with the cat right now. <laughs> she's, she's trying to get onto the keyboard. <laughs> I think right now, right now she is. Holy cow. Um, we're waiting for our next guest to call in, um, which is uh, Jim Renacci, uh running for governor out of Ohio. But um, here, here's something that really made me hopeful that we will be having a huge red wave in this coming election because Columbia – the capital of here in South Carolina, hasn't seen a Republican as mayor in I don't know how long. The, the city of Columbia is so liberal, so very liberal. And as far as I know, they've always had a Democrat. Um, but they finally elected a Republican. The former mayor, Stephen Benjamin, is out. And now, um, matter of fact, uh, the Democrat was endorsed by Jim Clyburn and did not, did not get elected in such a, a Democrat, a liberal stronghold as the city of Columbia here in South Carolina. So Rickman, he received 52 percent of the vote and he was running against a Democrat called Devine. who only got 48 percent. You know the difference in the votes? The total spread was only a mere 792 vote difference. Wow. That's how close it is. So there's going to be a lot of toss-up elections coming up this November. A lot of them. So that means that the Democrats didn't cheat enough to get uh, Wickman elected? (laughs) Well, actually, South Carolina enacted some pretty good um, election integrity laws. So it made it a little bit difficult for them to, to try to sweep the elections again. So right now we have uh, Republican Glenn Youngkin going to become the, Dem- the uh, Republican governor of Virginia. The city of Columbia here in South Carolina that has always, always been liberal has now a Republican uh, mayor. I- I'm telling you, we're going to see a sweep. 
It's, it's something that is, gives me hope. Andy, is Columbia a college town, or is it, uh, is it uh, you know, still pretty conservative? Or, I mean, what type of what, – what makes up that demographic in Columbia? Well, Columbia being the, the uh, seat of our government here in South Carolina, yep. Um, yep. even though we are a red state, the city of Columbia itself is very liberal, very liberal. It's part college. It's part government. Uh, it's a little bit of everything. And it's got a lot of surrounding area that is really very rural. So it's like a little of this, a little of that, but it's now got a Republican mayor, which is a good, good thing. So, so again, so the college part of it, the college town doesn't uh, over over um, overstate the city, correct? Uh, but we've got Clemson, which is outside. And then the University yep. of South Carolina also. Um, so, I mean, you've got two competing. So it's, it's, yep. it's an interesting city. It's a very beautiful city, very historic city. Uh, but it, as long as I've been here, I've always known it to be run by a Democrat. Yeah. So, I mean, Rickman got 52% of the vote. That's, that's pretty huge after... Biden got 68% yeah. of the vote in the general. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well, now we're going to see a lot of different things happen. So we're hoping now in this 2022 election we get the House back. And Kevin McCarthy looks like will become the speaker. Uh, Not exactly thrilled. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, these are deals that are done long before the individuals start to run for speaker. Um, I had a conversation with my former congressman, Mark Sanford, about this. He goes, you don't understand. You know, the news may be talking about it today, but this was already done and sealed two weeks ago. So, you know, you and I, average person, don't even know that these deals are going on in the back room. That's how the speaker's being picked. You think about that. And that's, that's no. that stinks. <laughs> It does. I mean, so now we have we have another Paul Ryan that's potentially um, going to would take the seat if Republicans were to win the House back. I mean, uh, you know, the, the guy he talks a good game, um, but he's he's just he's vanilla, and it's you know we need somebody like a Jim Jordan. You know, I I don't know if Jim Jordan would be any better, but I mean, as far as Jim Jordan goes, he's he's more of a. Uh, uh, a bulldog, and that's what we need in the House right now. It's being, you know, right now the establishment is running roughshod over the entire, you know, 435 members, and and not holding any of its own members accountable. But boy, really wants to go after Republicans. I mean, it's just it's it's incredible. I don't think Kevin McCarthy is going to be a strong leader. I just don't see it. Well, so far the word is coming out that he's going to kick Adam Schiff. Eric Swalwell and Ilian Omar off of their respective House committees. Good. So he's good. If if that is, then that's a good thing. But as you say, mm-hmm. um, he's he's like milk toast. I would like to see a Louis yeah. Gomert. Whoa, Judge Gomert. Uh, Jim Jordan. He's running yeah. for governor. Gomert's running for governor. There's a lot of. Oh, well, is he now? Yeah. I didn't so know that. He's going to be out of the house. Yeah. That's not no. a good thing. 
Well, it's good for Texas, but we still need to have a strong seat there. So we'll look to see who will come in his place. <clears throat> but, uh, I, and, you know, here, I'll tell you who I else. like. Go ahead. I'll tell you who I like as, as Speaker of the House. <laughs> and, 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 and it can be done. I think the Republicans should appoint Donald Trump as Speaker of the House. That's, that's a, always a good possibility. His name has been bandied around. And what people don't realize, you don't have to be a member of the House to become Speaker right. of the House. You can be voted in. You can be you, Vito. You could be voted Speaker of the House. If you have enough support from the House of Representatives, you can then become the next Speaker of the House, but you don't have to be a member. You don't have to be an elected member of the Speaker of the House. My cat can be voted Speaker of the House. I <laughs> <laughs> would do a better job than Nancy Pelosi. Uh, but here, here's, a, here's another perfect example of how the tide is beginning to turn. Remember a while back, California voted and Newsom, a gruesome Newsom signed into law Proposition 47, the rule that reduced shoplifting charges uh, for the amount of $950 or less that turned it from a felony into a misdemeanor. So if you can steal up to $950 and it's nothing, but, you know, it's only a misdemeanor now. It doesn't matter. Well, a California Democratic lawmaker, Rudy Salas, uh, has said, I want to see this reversed. We want to kill it. Kill Prop 47. No more. Bring it back the old way. In other words, you commit a crime. You are charged to the fullest extent of the law. A felony is a felony. You can't reduce the felony to a misdemeanor just on a whim. $950, ah, a slap on the wrist. No big deal. It's not working. You've got all these uh, nighttime shoppers just going in, smash and grab. You know, Now yeah. they're going in for drugstores. Did you see um, Greg Kelly up on Newsmax was doing a segment. He had gone to the local corner drugstore. He wanted some candy. He goes to the candy aisle. Do you know they have all the candy locked behind plexiglass? So if you want that bag of Kit Kats or the Hershey Kisses, you've got to get a store clerk to unlock the case. So, I mean, just get a bag of candy. That is how bad it has gotten. So no wonder why now Democrats are going, wait a minute, this touchy-feely, you know, nice stuff, like, oh, no, no, little slap on the wrist. It's not really a felony. We're just going to give you a ticket. No big deal. It's only $950. doesn't mean much. But when you have 20 and 30 people coming in and taking up to $950, that, that's a lot of money. And that takes yeah. a mom-and-pop shop and kills it, absolutely kills it. Wondering why CVS and Walgreens are not opening new stores in California, New York, New Jersey, or all these other states where they have the smash and grabs. Because it's not worth it. It's not worth it. The insurance won't cover the constant robberies. Yes. So, of course, yep. now you've got the Democrats going, uh, let's bring back law and order. This, this liberal <laughs> stuff is just not working. Yeah, think. 
you think? Yeah. And right now, yeah. I think I'm batting yeah. a thousand with my guest today. <laughs> I'm, I'm batting a thousand. <laughs> I mean, I, I they said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want, I want this guy. He's running for governor to come on, come on. That's that's two for two. I normally don't have this happen, but but it's Did it, maybe maybe it's me. <laughs> I don't know. Did you wear your deodorant today? I, I did. really would have loved fact, to. I, have, I, I opened up a new can myself, so. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, oh, um, oh! You said Mike Kelly for. Uh, Speaker of the House, that that not bad, yeah. not bad. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you, I you I need like someone Mike with Kelly. some cojones. I, that's exactly right. And you know what? He's he's a plain talking guy, and uh, you know we don't need these vanilla guys. Uh, you know we don't that 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 tells you what you want to hear. You know when you when they ask you a question, if if the question is requires a yes or a no answer, give a yes or a no answer, and that's what what I think Mike Kelly is is great at. Boom. Boom, bang, yes, no. Did you do this with that? Yes. Okay, next question. Uh, you know, not a five-minute diatribe. <laughs> I got I to gotta swear, my cat has been climbing all around me, and I swear I got fur up my nose. Oh, God. <laughs> so pardon me for <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think she's got it on the microphone. Ah. Anyway, but we've got to have more to talk about here. I know that we, I'll tell you what. we definitely have more to talk about. Did you listen to the speech? I didn't listen to Biden's speech yesterday. I list, I read the transcripts because I, I can't listen to the guy. I, I just He's just a phony and a fraud to me. Um, I was very offended by his speech. And, and I, I was offended by his speech from a, from a constitutional standpoint. And... You know, this is the problem with, with the Democrats as far as dumbing America down. You know, he talked about they failed, but democracy's, but democracy's victory was not certain, nor is democracy's future. That's why we're here today to stand against the forces in America that value power over principle, forces that attempted a coup, a coup against legally oppressed by sowing doubt, inventing charges fraud. They want chaos to, to reign. They want the people to rule. And it's like, that's not true. He's, he's absolutely lying. And first of all, we're not a democracy. We're a constitutional republic. And if anybody wants to our constitutional republic to, to be pushed aside, it's the Democrat Party. It's the, it's the party that's led by, by Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Barack Obama, and Nasty Pelosi. I mean, it's just, you know, I, I'm, I'm reading this thing, and it's like, oh, my God, this guy is talking about a democracy and having a majority rule. That's not the way our Constitution is set up. You know, the minority has rights in America, okay? And, and for him to, to make the, the statements that he made are just factually incorrect about how the, based upon the foundings of our country. Uh, it's just I, I, I'm I'm stunned that he's continuing to get allowed. He's he's continually to get allowed uh, allowed to continue to get away with making these false statements. You know, if they say it enough, they make it the truth. That's 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 what's yeah. going on in their head. The more he says it, and it's it's not as if 
he said this only once, but every single time he speaks, it is an attack on half of America. He has mm-hmm. called out an all-out war on half of Americans. Law-abiding people that the only difference between them and the Democrats is your political principle. You believe in big government and taxation and putting your hand in everyone else's pocket. We don't. We want laissez-faire. You leave us alone and we'll leave you alone. You know, just follow the rule of law and follow the Constitution is all we ask. But, no, that makes you bad. That makes you Mm -hmm. bad. And we still haven't gotten to the bottom of what happened on January 6th last year. And you said the question, who is and where is Ray Epps? You know what my supposition is? is He got whisked away into witness protection. They don't want us finding out what happened. But little bit by little bit, video is starting to appear. And even though people have been intimidated by the government and by the Capitol Police, uh, that, that boy band that testified in front of Congress, those tears, and I am disgusted, I am embarrassed, I am ashamed. You didn't even do your damn job, you wimp ass. Excuse my language. But we're starting to, we're starting, starting to find out what has really been happening. And um, the officer who had the stroke... Uh, His name now escapes me. Uh, They held his funeral service in the Capitol, had his body there for three days. Mm. Well, stories about that are starting to come out, that several of the people in the crowd was trying to help the officer. They saw him in medical distress. And one of the people in the crowd that has come forward said, no, I have medical training. The second I saw him, I realized he was having a stroke. And we were trying to get his fellow officers to help him, to get him medical aid immediately. So now the question is, did that officer really have to die that day? Had his fellow officers stepped up? Had they gotten him medical assistance immediately when people in the crowd were trying to help the officer? Could he have been saved? That's a good question. And now who was responsible? Who was it that failed? Uh, Brian Sicknick, thank you very much, uh, Sasquatch. Brian Sicknick, yes, that was the officer that had the stroke. And with all of the TV and all the cameras that were out there on that day, originally they said he was hit with a fire extinguisher. They said some other things that he was assaulted. Not one iota of film was ever produced to say that anyone harmed him. The opposite is being shown to be true that they attempted to help him. So, you know, just how bad was this crowd? I mean, just what is it the media doesn't want us to know about what happened that day? Who led them into the Capitol? Who was that guy on the scaffolding shouting for people to storm the Capitol? And if you notice, a lot of people in the crowd were saying, no, don't go in, don't go in. And who is this guy, Epps, who the night before was stirring up the crowd the night before. And then again on the day, encouraging people to go in. Now, who were the officers that stepped away from the windows so the instigators could break the windows? Now, there's a lot, exactly. a lot of questions. A lot of questions. So, 
I would like to see the Republicans get into the House and do a full open hearing. Call them all in. And get these people that are still behind bars released. That's what really is troubling to me. Uh, the fact is, is that these people's constitutional rights are being violated, and it seems to be okay to do so. Um, people living in squalor, I mean, they're, they're being housed in squalor conditions as prisoners. You know, it's one thing if there was really sedition and if there was really um, an insurrection and these people were truly threats to the United States government, but they're not. And for their constitutional rights to be denied by this administration, this goes, to, in my opinion, goes to show how unconstitutional Biden-Harris truly are. Yes, absolutely. Now, here, um, talk about nasty Pelosi, how, how she's, she's whacked. She's absolutely whacked. <laughs> um, normally, Democrats stick together like pack animals. However, uh, this past Monday, Democratic Senator Jeff Markey, Markley, Markley uh, admitted that the House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's husband's stock trading activity has swayed her legislative judgment. <laughs> no. Um, now, this, this is where you know the left has gone too far. When you have someone like AOC... Alexandria Acosta-Cortez say that no member of Congress or the Senate should be trading in stocks while they are holding elected office. AOC said that. And now you've got other Democrats saying the same thing. Now, um, there is a Republican, I believe, that put forth um, legislation to say that if you are an elected member of the House or Senate, and you are voting on issues that affect companies, such as, oh, I don't know, Getty Oil, or, uh, I, what, uh, uh, Tesla, or any sort of a big company or anything like that, or if you're going to be involved with doing legislation that will directly involve these other companies, you should not be trading on their stock. You've got insider trading information. If I were to do that, if you were to do that, we would be arrested. We would be arrested for insider trading. And yet, these members of Congress and the Senate are allowed to do that. Harry Reid made boku bucks. Nasty Pelosi. How does she make 20% more than the market? Gee, that's strange. The only way she could do that is if she had the inside information on what legislation was coming up and what companies it was going to affect ahead of time. I mean, Mm -hmm. Boku bucks on Google. But, and AOC said, no, 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 if you're a member, you you can't trade anything. And what some of them were saying is you should put this into a blind trust while you hold office and let it dividend reinvest or whatever, but you can't trade any additional stocks. I mean, whether or not you can tell someone whether or not they can or can't trade stocks, that's one thing. But if you trade a stock that is being influenced by legislation you are voting on, that should be just as illegal for you to do it as it is for me to do it. Period. It should not be a law for you and a different law for me, which is basically what they have done. So we've got to even the playing field here. 
Agreed. And one of the things to, to do is take that power away from them. If you're voting on an issue that will involve a company and involve the stock, uh-uh, that's wrong. That's illegal. Absolutely illegal. So that's what I got for now. What do you got for me? I was just going to say that on that on the blind trust issue, I, I can remember when George H.W. Bush was excoriated by the left wing um, with regards to his portfolio. And he stated, he goes, I have no idea what my portfolio is doing. Everything's in a blind trust. And and they still went after the, the left still went after the Democrats still went after him to make an example out of him. And now suddenly, you know, 20 years later, 25 years later, 30 years later, um, having your, your assets in a blind trust is, oh, we should probably do that. And, and now the Democrats are finding ways to excuse, you know, that, that, that behavior. And, oh, well, we'll just put it in a blind trust. Well, excuse me, that's what President, you know, then-President George H.W. did. It's what Vice President Cheney did, and that apparently wasn't good enough. But now, supposedly, in order for the Democrats to save their own hide, it's okay if they go into a blind trust now. I mean, it should be, it shouldn't even be a written thing. It should be automatic. You know, don't have a conflict of interest, put your money in a blind trust and let that trust take care of the investing side of it. And you stay out of it as an elected official. Well, didn't Trump take a lot of heat because he turned his company over to his sons and said, Mm -hmm. hey, listen, I'm going to be president. So I am stepping away. I have want nothing to do with this. Once I'm out of office, then I may become involved again. But as long as I'm holding this office, I am not going to have anything to do with it. And he let his sons run it. But, oh, that wasn't good enough. That wasn't good enough. You know, yeah, when, because, when people you know have why? honesty. Because they had. Uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Because they had what? Go ahead. No. no it, you know, it, it, <laughs> go ahead. No, go ahead. I'm, I'm listening. <laughs> That's what happens when you put two Italians together. The only way you get one yeah. of us to stop talking is to tie our hands behind our backs. <laughs> Mine are behind my back right now. <laughs> Sit on them. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> but but, but if, if someone does something that is is done with honor and with honesty, like you know Trump put it into the blind trust. I don't always agree with everything that Bush did, but he put it into the blind trust. Same with Cheney. Mm-hmm. Put it into a blind trust. But you're honest and open about it, but because they can't find something specifically wrong, they have to find another way to attack you. Hence, we have Russiagate. So they couldn't get him and his sons on the company. Oh, but yet they're still going after the tax records. And uh, what is that name of that DA in New York? Uh, Letitia. Is it Letitia James? That. campaigned on the the promise to go after Trump. That's how she won her election, promising to go after Trump. And you can see clip after clip after clip of her going, I'm going to indict him. I'm going to do this. I'm saying full out that she's got a full war going against between her and Trump. That's not why you run for D.A. You're supposed to represent the law. You're supposed to enforce the law equally across the board. 
You don't pick out one scapegoat and make everything about just him, but that is what she has done. And I don't think that's, that's uh, uh, what is the word I'm trying to think of? Um, ethical use of the mm-hmm. law. I really don't think so. You can't create a, a crime where one did not exist. So you're using, using the word Democrat and ethical in the same sentence? What are you? What, what, my grandmother <laughs> say, he's in the box. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but this yeah. Is, isn't this the idea though behind the left wing is to is to erase Trump from the from from everything, um, and they they have to discredit the guy. I mean, just because Donald Trump built an empire and he used his name as as that what would you call advertisement, we've never had a president before President Trump, who had, who was a businessman who, who had business with his name on it. You know, um, Franklin, uh, Franklin was, uh, was not president, but, you know, the Franklin funds, that was, that came after him. But, you know, we didn't have Washington. We didn't have uh, um, Andrew Jackson didn't have a business. Ulysses S. Grant didn't have business. Um, you know, now we had a, we have a president, Donald Trump, who had, built an empire using his name he can't rightly take down those those that brand but he did the right thing by stepping away from being ceo and president and he he dissolved himself away you know from that from that company and let his kids take over donald and don trump were not part of the u.s government nor his administration so all of this is this is contrived by the by the Democrat Party to continue to undermine the man and and what he meant to America, what he did as a pre, as president. They're trying to erase history. They're trying to rewrite mm-hmm. history to be more accurate. And uh, a former mayor here uh, turned around, sent an email out about uh, teaching our children proper history, and talked about referring to the Zinn Institute. And I go, you've got to be kidding me. You're going to use Howard Zinn for an accurate depiction of American history? The man who single-handedly started to rewrite it by rewriting our school education books? Howard Zinn? I mean, he was creating things out of thin air. He he has no more veracity in teaching history than... um, Oh, I don't know. Nancy Pelosi telling the truth, or Joe Biden getting a uh, being able to work without a teleprompter <laughs> or a minder right behind him. <laughs> I mean, you know, we are living in a crazy, crazy time. I never thought I would see this world this insane, but um, yeah, I see a phone number, and actually, believe it or not. <laughs> Day late, dime short, dollar short, but we'll take it anyway. We want to welcome onto the show Lieutenant Colonel Tony Shaver. A little late, but we're welcoming you anyway. Hey, God, sorry about that. I was actually on a call regarding Afghanistan and trying to continue to get people out of there, and uh, this has slipped off my schedule. So thanks for taking me a little bit late. Welcome. Well, you may end up. We'll we'll, we'll take anything, but. Uh, 
<laughs> you are still working on helping to rescue Americans and our allies from Afghanistan. And I'm hearing story after story of a bunch of other patriots like you trying to do that. How is it going? And how many have we been able to get out so far? So the group I'm working with directly has probably got about a, a total of 60 people. Half of those are families. And the issue right now is we're successful in getting people to third countries. Uh, the problem is getting them out of those third countries because once you get them into a third country, our State Department, uh, in all their wisdom, demands all sorts of documentation to, to get them to move to, a, to, to here or some other places that we consider uh, to be where they want to settle. So a lot of the time we have to get them to a third country. We have to get them settled in to kind of wait in line, and it's expensive. We were just I, literally they were just going through the numbers and. One, I mean, we're we're supporting a group, one of these task forces directly, and you know, and we're trying to do fundraising with them on this. And you know, it, it runs about uh, twenty-five thousand. It's not a lot, but it's a lot for for us. About twenty-five k a month to just sustain the current level of operations, which is mostly just keeping people in third countries. And we can't even set up a line to get them out until we do some more fundraising to find ways to actually kind of re you know, what sense does it make to get people out if you got to make them sit in a third country? So we're that's kind of the Logistical challenges we're facing, facing with right, trying to walk work through. So, well, just send them through Venezuela, up through Mexico, and they could come across ah. the border illegally, and they'll be they'll have food, housing, you know, education, medical needs. You, know, you don't have to spend the money. Just send them through Mexico, That's right? right? Well, I find it ironic <laughs> that they're about to spend uh, 308 billion to the Taliban for quote unquote humanitarian support when we, they, our own State Department and Defense Department, refuses to assist us in getting people our legitimate citizens and uh, green card or otherwise authorized people out it's it's uh, it's and I think part of it to be honest with you is just they don't want to face up to the level of damage they've done so you know it, it's ironic they want to give the Taliban this quote humanitarian aid there is no guarantee that that will not leave the hierarchy of the Taliban to ever get down to anyone who actually needs the humanitarian so, aid so the answer is, uh, yeah, that's true, and that's something of a cost we're going to have to deal with. And this is exactly what we we're just talking about. There's two groups. I'm going to really, I'm going to literally say what, to you what I just said to this team. I said, look, there's two groups you're always going to have to deal with in that region. Uh, one is the Pakistani intelligence service. <laughs> they actually assisted the Taliban in taking control back, and at this point, you have to deal with the Taliban. And the Taliban is not. Uh, I'm going to say this and get in trouble, I'm sure, but. The Taliban is not like the Democratic Party. They're not like all monolithic. It's very tribal. Uh, they're much more regionalized and a tapestry. So when you deal with the Taliban, you're more dealing with warlords who kind of, you know, uh, control parts of it. So uh, it's it's one of those situations where it's the cost of doing business. And at this point, you know, you've, you've got to accept that a certain amount of the money you raise is going to go to bribing these people to get things done. And that's, that's a part of it. I have a question for you on that note. Um, is, is that the issue that, that you all face in trying to get these people out, is that you have to deal with the warlords and um, any obstacles by the Pakistani intelligence? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, those are the two of the biggest things. So you have to understand that, uh, that our State Department on the way out identified through their stupidity a lot of the people who work for us, that this was very well documented. So... The Taliban aren't stupid. 
especially the warlords who have an interest of maintaining leverage. And so they're not going to go out and kill these people. They're points of leverage. So, of course, they're going to, they're going to use them to make money. It's what warlords do. And then on top of that, you've got the ISI who control the border. Uh, we've been trying to work with some of the stands. Uh, so, and, and, you know, I think you've all seen it. That, you know, Russia's kind of back in charge of Tajikistan, Uzbekistan. So you've got to deal with the Russians on stuff like that. So it's, it's basically a situation where you have to understand who to really go talk to to get these things done. And so inside of Afghanistan, you've got to deal with the Taliban at some point. If you're putting people into Pakistan, you're going to have to deal with the ISI. If you want to go to the stands, you literally have to talk to the Russians. Uh, so it's a situation where uh, it's, it's much more about finesse and knowing who to talk to rather than depending on our government to do anything to help. You know, it is an absolute mess because even as this was starting to go down in the beginning, we were hearing story after story after story about our allies having to hide, even American citizens hiding their identification just so they can slip through these checkpoints. And now that we have no assets left in there to give us assistance, you're flying blind for sure. You know, how long does it take just to get one group out? What's the time frame from when you start working with them to getting them finally out? No, as a matter of fact, part of it right now is a lot of families have been told to kind of hold tight since we really don't have the resources to get them out. So that's part of the challenge is, you know, there's no really set time frame, and each route they take is different. And so I can't honestly give you an answer on that. Uh, and plus, we are trying to line up some media for some of these folks who we've got now. As a matter of fact, I was talking to one of the guys about how we can get some of these folks. Uh, you can work with Chris, as a matter of fact, if you want to talk to some of these folks. But we're going to go ahead and try to get some, some of these folks who have been gotten out uh, to come out and speak for themselves without giving away how it was done. So that's something we do find that we'd like to do at some point in the near future. Now, if someone wants to make a donation to help you do this, where can they go to do this? Go to Women's Center, womenscenter.org. We tell everybody that there's actually uh, a set-aside for the actual uh, uh, Give Butter account that the money can go into. As a matter of fact, uh, let me just – I'm going to bring up London Center so I can tell you exactly where to go on it. Well, I've got a link also on the show page so people can just click on the Herb London Center for Policy Research and go straight on yeah, over if you, there. Um, if you go down to the, the very bottom, uh, mm-hmm. let's see here. Well, I there it is, right at the bottom. It says donation. So if you go to donation, click on donations, right at the very bottom right, the first thing you see is there is the Afghanistan Project. Uh, obviously, you have other projects, but that's the top one we're trying to work on right now. And you can go right in and pick a, pick an Afghanistan project amount, one time, monthly, whatever you guys can give. But anyway, it's it's right at the bottom of, the, of our page of our home of uh, LondonCenter.org. And uh, you know, I can tell you that this is uh, we're right now just trying to get people through the winter, and we're gonna we've been reaching out to corporations. We're going to try to do some fundraisers. Uh, one of the big gun makers looks like they may co- uh, give us uh, some weapons we can use for raffles, things like that. So, you know, it's going to be something that we're working on at least through the spring, and we believe that most of it should be done by next summer. It's just, it's, it just takes time, and it's, uh, it's a difficult thing to do. 
Oh, God bless you for doing this. And there are a handful of you and other special ops that are, are working on getting these people out and getting the help they need. You know, well, that, we're working no with excuse. old, yes, uh, fifth group people. Yeah, we're working with a lot of old uh, fifth group uh, special operations guys. And one of my neighbors uh, was involved as well. So we're, you know, we're all trying to work with these guys to get them out. And a lot of these folks worked with these people operationally back when we were there, you know, doing combat operations. So it's a, that's one of the reasons we have so many special operations folks committed to this. Well, you know, you've got some pretty big uh, feet to, you know, you stepped in with the, taking over the Herb London Center for Policy, Policy Research after Herb passed away. And I love that man. I really did. And as a matter of fact, I keep on flashing back to the very last time he was on the show. Uh, he was doing the interview with me, and the fire alarms were going off. And they were trying to pull him out. He goes, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. Finally, he had to hang up. Go, well, they're telling me. <laughs> so he, he he was a character, and he is missed. He definitely is missed. But well, um, we all miss her. There's a lot. Yeah, no, I. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no. Go ahead, please. No, I was going to say that um, Herb. One of the things we tried to do, and I tried to do as the president, is maintain the focus of the center. Uh, the very way Herb would want it. Uh, as I always talk to our board, this is not about how Tony Schaefer wants to do things. It's more about how I can manage things the way Herb would want it. Uh, and uh, it, it does restrict me somewhat because Herb's style and my style are very different, but I do feel I'm obligated to, to the family and to his legacy to, to do it the way he would want it. So we've tried very hard to stay within the, folk, the policy focus areas and work in the same methodology uh, that he would have done. And we, we worked to actually embrace both sides. I mean, I don't know if people really understood this, but Herb would embrace anybody who was willing to debate. He would have that discussion. And he was always open to having uh, opportunities for, for multiple voices to be heard as long as it was done in a rational way uh, with an understanding of, of facts. And so uh, that his legacy is one we plan on maintaining. And eventually, we'd like to reestablish, uh, once the pandemic moves on, reestablish some sort of a, a presence in New York where we have a Herb London library, uh, where we'd like to have all of his numerous works, uh, the, uh, publications that he made over his life, on display and available for the public to, to review. Oh, that'd be awesome. That would be definitely awesome. Uh, I, he's smiling down from heaven right now, I'm sure. But you're just picturing the way he loved to have the debate. I mean, can you imagine him having, attempting to have a conversation with nasty Pelosi? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that's possible. Well, you know, it's funny you should mention that. He told me uh, before he passed, we were talking about Hillary Clinton one day, and uh, he got invited to an event where he basically said right to her face that her approach to things are not in line with a, a, the, good, uh, the good and necessary standards of the republic. And, of course, he never got invited to another Hillary Clinton event, but he stood up <laughs> and made the statement. No, I mean, it's great. I, I appreciate it. I'm like, no, he, he, would not, he would not pretend to be someone he wasn't, even to someone like Hillary Clinton, where he knew it would be a price uh, just to being to being himself and being honest, but I, I think uh, the one thing I know about Herb is he appreciated the, the need to, to focus on objective truth. What is the truth? And uh, that is uh, one of the first casualties I've seen within the current context of of political discourse. It's all about emotion, 
And if, 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 and if you yeah. feel a certain way and you're, you're progressive, that's, that justifies your argument no matter how wacky it is. Yeah, it is, how dare you display the American flag? Um, yeah. It's triggering me. I need my safe space. And we were having this conversation earlier, you know, how they have twisted everything. And as long as they repeat the lie often enough, it makes it the truth. Whereas you and I go, wait a minute, this is the truth. It's right here in black and white. You can't, you can't you know, debate this. This is the fact. But no, right. it will always get twisted. Always get twisted. Now, the new curse word out there is Republican. You know, you can't even say that because we're now known as domestic terrorists. We're bigots. We're racists. We're segregationists. You know, we're seditionists. You know, we're responsible for trying to turn over the government. You know, you can't even use the word republic. You know, it's well, bad. No, it's going to trigger someone. Well, no, I, I think that's I, – I don't know if you're aware. I got suspended from Twitter yesterday permanently, by the way. Because oh. <laughs> I was I was going after Ray Epps. Apparently, that's a forbidden subject. But literally, the last my last tweet before I was kicked off was on Ray. And the, of course, they can't give me a reason. And it's very clear that any time you start asking hard questions, uh, you're basically causing trouble. And to the point that you're making, uh, I find it ironic that the the most uh, by the way, the, there's only been one person I've met in in my political career that was an actual racist. And uh, that person is a guy named Joe Biden, and I've met him. I've testified yeah. before him. And, he had, and no, I'm, I'm completely serious about this. He was uh, uh, mentored and, and did a, a eulogy for an exalted cyclops of the KKK, uh, uh, Senator mm-hmm. Byrd. Uh, he's continued to say racist things. So he's the last guy to be calling out segre- segregationists or racists since, uh, at this point, he is the, literally the only man I've ever known who has – said and done, uh, put a whole generation of black men into prison based on laws he put together in the 90s. So I have no uh, uh, belief that, that Biden should be saying anything based on the fact that anything he says obviously is going to be a lie. No, that I completely agree with you on your take of Joe Biden, because until recently we still had some highways and stuff named after Senator Byrd. You know, it, yeah. it, it irked me just seeing them. And Joe Biden and he were, you know, two peas in a pod. There was no ands, ifs, or buts about that. And the stories that leaked out of the White House from Secret Service when he was the vice president with he and his wife Jill swimming in the nude in front of female agents, you know, the, the things that come out of what this man has done, the alleged sexual assaults that he's never been tried for, the man is, what's the proper term, misogynistic? Yeah. <laughs> misogynistic bigot? Right. I, I finally no, found I mean, a person it, it, that it actually fits. I, you know, I've, I've worked in the military and uh, around the government, and um, I've been, uh, I've worked with, for, uh, around women my entire career, and I've never once uh, believed that they should be treated with anything except equality and respect. Uh, the war on women by the Democrats, where you've allowed men. <laughs> And I'll, I'll be blunt about this: men to dominate women's sports, women's <laughs> events. It's it's horrendous that the Democrats are allowing this to happen. And I'm sorry, trans. You know, if, if you have a if you if you're born a man, and you go into a you know you you want to be a woman, that's not that's not fair to women. And women's events, especially sports, 
to the women. And uh, the Democrats are perfectly on board with destroying uh, the respect and, and uh, gains that women have made to establish themselves as, as completely equal. The, the Democrats are trying to destroy that. So. No, I completely agree because I remember when Title IX was finally enacted and it was supposed to give mm-hmm. us you know, equal opportunity to compete in sports and earn a good pay. You know, these girls trained and worked their heart out. And now right. they're going to be denied their scholarships, uh, any chance at a career in uh, professional sports, you know, at competition prizes. They, they knock them completely out of the field and unfairly. So in total right. violation of Title IX. But how dare you say that he is not a she? How dare you? Wait a minute. All said and done, he's buried a thousand years from now, someone buries him up, runs a DNA test, and he may have the physical features surgically planted in him to make him look like a woman. But you run that DNA, I'm sorry, it's a man. You can't change the chromosomes. Right. And in, I'm with you. If you. So I'm completely with you on that one. And I remember when I first got to NYPD, uh, the first time I stood vocal and I got put with an old timer, he goes, I'm not riding with no girl. Where's her purse? <laughs> and that, that, that went over real well. That went over real, real well. So I, I had to fight the uphill battle. But we paved the way for women coming behind us to be able to succeed. And now this is right. all being ripped away from any chance for a woman to even try to compete. Because if you know that you're right. going to be going af- after a transgender, why would you even try? Why would you try? Just throw your hands up, walk away, and then there goes any chance of you being the best you can be. And it's a total defeatist uh, thing. And that's, maybe that's the point, to cow us under so we don't have our voices anymore, so that government right. then can control what we say and do. So I agree. <laughs> that's my rant for the day. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. I mean, you're right. I think uh, it's all about giving the state, uh, it really is this recreation of the Soviet state where the state knows right and wrong and will be the ultimate determiner of success, of failure, uh, of, of who gets resources, who doesn't. And, and, you know, I mean, that's clearly that's what the whole Build Back Better thing is all about. That's what they're trying to do. That's where they're going with all of this. So. Exactly. We would say that we are heading down the road of socialism and communism, and I've never seen an administration embrace the two so totalitarianly. Uh, there's no other way. It's, it's become a dictatorship, and they're forcing this all upon us. You know, the, the mm-hmm. relationship they now have with China, uh, heaven forbid you have them for human rights uh, violations, for organ harvesting of the Fulangang or the treatment of the Muslims. How many have they, they slaughtered? Um, the treatment of now women in Afghanistan, you know, what this administration has done is is the exact opposite of everything that we stand for, what you and I stand for, what our founding fathers built for us. And now he's he's making threats against Russia over the Ukraine. That's a whole other pot of worms he's opening up. And we throw in now, oh, let's see, North Korea and Iran expanding their nuclear you know, testing and China popping off some new missiles and threatening Taiwan. I have never seen a world in such turmoil as I see today. So it's all by design, I think. Um, 
and I don't mean to sound paranoid, but I don't believe for a minute that the powers that be, the governance of the world, is so badly organized to just allow this all to happen at random. I think the supply chain issue is something being created by a number of nations for purposes of, of control. Uh, the whole green, I've got a degree in environmental studies. Uh, one of the few conservatives I know personally uh, who took the time to get the degree, and I can tell you from the real science, there's no climate crisis. Uh, you have climates which transition over hundreds of thousands of years. And uh, man's input of a fraction of a percent of a fraction of a percent of CO2 into the atmosphere has no effect. It is scientifically proven, but the left doesn't want you to know that. They want you to panic and give them control so they can be the ones who tell you what energy you can use. Uh, this is all a pattern. This is all being done for purposes of essentially establishing a global uh, system of controls which really do diminish the individual rights. Uh, you know, as they say for Build Back Better, you will own nothing and be happy. Uh, and that's where they want to go with all of this. Yeah, we've, we've seen it. You and I have seen it when it did to the Soviet Union. We had to wait what? years before you could buy that car, and you could only buy right. certain models. Um, they, you were told that, oh, uh, you're not going to just live in this apartment by yourself. This other family is going to be living with you. Uh, you right. had no choice. You were not given any free will or free choice. And this is what they're attempting to do to us. You know, the, the biggest thing is when they let go of Afghanistan, the rare earth minerals. And now China controls the chips. They now have access to the rare earth mineral, minerals in uh, Afghanistan. So they're cornering the market. Oh, but wait a minute. Didn't Joe Biden say that very shortly everyone will be driving electric cars? Gee, what do you need? Chips from China and rare earth minerals. And who's controlling yeah. that now? controlled between Russia and China. And you right. said supply chain? Now China is being known to buy up food supplies? And why are they doing that? Are they looking to force us into a famine? Are they looking to control prices? They have been buying up farmland and factories here in the United States that produce food. Gee, next time you buy that package of Smithfield bacon, know that you're buying from China. You know, people don't understand where this is all going. And China has such a, a stranglehold on our supply right. chain. We've become so dependent upon them. Pre-pandemic, they well, were buying up all the PPEs. Right. Well, right now, if you buy it, it's all made in China again. I mean, it was ironic that uh, I think it was uh, one of the congressmen, of, uh, one of the Republican congressmen pointing out that the masks they were being handed to wear, the N95 masks, were all made in China. So it just goes to show how completely compromised uh, members of Congress and our system is at this point. And sadly, if you go into Home Depot, you go into Walmart, uh, you're going to find that uh, many, if not 80% of the products in those stores are made in, in China. And we've become dependent yeah. on that, and that's something that's very dangerous. Yeah. You know, everyone loves to hit Wally World. And I, I said, you know, I challenge you. Go into the store and just fill up your shopping cart and tell me how many items have, were all made in China. And I would say you're, I was saying 75, you're saying 80%. That's probably correct. Yeah. Just about that. You know, everything they have there. And any time you buy something, especially if you're buying now on Amazon, 
which has a propaganda arm with China, um, how many items that you're buying on Amazon are actually manufactured in China? And, oh, wait a minute, well, isn't there a scandal that just quickly got shut out of the news this past week about Hunter Biden and China manufacturing uh, the, N, uh, the N95 masks, but they ended up what? being counterfeit and didn't work? Wasn't that a lot of money being invested into that, and some people got taken with that? Hmm. So that's the key, is that we have a number of, of politically compromised individuals who are more than happy to continue to degrade the, the nation's national security and economic health. One of the great things about President Trump I appreciated, and I worked with his team, was that they linked uh, economic security to national security. And uh, one of the things that he was very strong on was trying to make sure that uh, part of our strength as a nation was to make sure that we had an economic ability to uh, give every citizen uh, the benefit of, of cheap energy. Uh, hopefully, uh, he was working to reinvigorate American manufacturing, American steel, things like that. And uh, obviously, those things are all stopped because Joe Biden and company are not, uh, not pro-American. They're trying everything they can to export job and resources over to the foreign countries because he was bought off. So Hunter Biden, all the evidence is through people I've spoken to and uh, 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 Tony Bobolinsky coming forward and talking about it, uh, they're completely compromised. And I can't believe that we have a Department of Justice that, that is so compromised uh, that they've become essentially a, a whole, wholly owned subsidiary of the Democrat Party because this is an obvious thing, an obvious fact of, of, of corruption that they should be investigating, and, of course, they're refusing to do. Well, throw in the FBI with that, too, because it, oh, yeah. ever since they hired more lawyers than they did, you know, feed on the ground real agents, you know, it's now, wait a minute, let me check all the boxes and make sure. Yeah. But then again, they become a, the army of the Democratic Party. And that's since a shame. Since Louis Free left, that yes, is a shame. since Louis Free left. Yeah, Louis Free was the last real director of the FBI. Once Louis left, uh, they've been completely compromised. So, now, now I didn't realize that you also worked with NYPD, the uh, the counterterrorism unit, which, if I, I remember correctly, uh, if I remember correctly, that was constituted in March of '93 because the World Trade Center was hit February 26th. And I was on duty that day at the 9 0. Oh. Yeah. So, yeah, they, <laughs> I was. They, I was a... they... No, go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't, mean, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, I was going to say no, that I just I admire remember... the. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just remember that day very, very well because my sister in law was working in the Twin Towers, and the 9 0 precinct is right across the. Uh, the Williamsburg Bridge, and I was waiting mm -hmm. surgery for line of duty injury, so they had me working the uh, desk. And as the teletype, mm -hmm. remember teletypes came across oh, yeah. about the uh, that actually uh, mobilized us in the response. And Patty yeah. Lynch, who's the current PBA president, I remember seeing him run across the roll call, just grabbing bodies and saying, "We're going to the World Trade Center." He got hit. He was just grabbing wow. people. So. Yeah, that's a little bit of a history there. Oh, it's good. It's good. Well, so go ahead. So it's not good that the towers were hit. It's good that the NYPD did a very forceful response. In fact, uh, my first working 
one of my first assignments as a lieutenant was working at, with the NYPD in 1985 when, with the Joint Terrorism Task Force when I was the, assistant, the uh, acting special agent in charge of the New York City Resident Office of, uh, of Army, Army Intelligence, Army Counterintelligence over at uh, Fort uh, Hamilton. And um, I've, you know, worked and had a relationship with the NYPD's counterterrorism folks for all that time. Uh, right after 9-11, uh, one of the things that NYPD did do to expand its counterterrorism uh, capability is actually uh, plan to do global intelligence operations, which I'm all for. My friend Jim Woolsey, former director of CIA, worked with a number of NYPD folks and established essentially their own global network of early warning. And that network still exists. I believe it's stronger and more effective uh, than the FBI, by the way, or DHS, because uh, I think the NYPD, despite uh, a number of bad leaders, and to include de Blasio being one of the worst, have been able to sustain a, a real understanding of what's necessary to protect the Big Apple. And uh, everything. Well, and the great thing about them is that they, while they recognize it's important to protect uh, New York, they have been really uh, aggressive in trying to help anybody in the nation conduct uh, uh, and counterterrorism uh, intelligence collection and operations, and, and my hat's off to them to this very day. Yeah, I, I really, my heart bleeds for the men and women that have to put up with the crap that's going on in New York City, and of course the rest of the nation, the attack on law enforcement. And right. it's, it's, it's not right, but we're starting to see where all these blue cities and states were defunding the police, are now refunding them again, because they realize it's a little bit of a mistake to not enforce law and order here. <laughs> a little right. bit of a mistake, you think, Tony? <laughs> but anyway. I mean, um, no, I mean, look at, look at Chicago. You've got trains being robbed of, of, you know, talk about supply chain. There was a thing today where uh, they have, uh, the, you know, they have major train uh, terminals, BNF, BNSF, and, uh, you know, the trains are being looted by uh, Chicago citizens. It's It's terrible, so... Yeah, you know, there's so much that's going on. I b- briefly mentioned the border, and I seem to remember an article, and I'm, I believe it was in Newsweek, back in, I think it was 89 or 90, and the title of the article was OTMs, Other Than Mexicans. They were talking about them coming across the border back in the eight, late 80s, 90s, and talking about finding Korans and prayer shawls and having signs put up in Chinese. Now, the only thing that has changed, it's not as seldom as it was back then. It is far more prevalent. So we're allowing our own enemies into our own borders? So one of the organizations which has actually studied this in a great deal of detail is Judicial Watch. My friend Chris Farrell, the director of investigations, uh, did a lot of work down at the border to try to to, to monitor all this, and the answer is, yeah, uh, this has been known for a while, and while President Trump and his team worked to try to establish an understanding and uh, work with uh, our allies in Latin America to stop this, unfortunately, you've seen a complete lack of uh, interest with the Biden administration to do any such thing, and so I think it's very clear that we've seen uh, many of our enemies find uh, easy paths through the southwest border into the United States, and this is not going to get any better until we decide to take seriously shutting down the border. And uh, at this point, unfortunately, just we just don't see that. 
No, and I, I've said this many times. One of the best ways, which I believe Trump did, uh, to get control of the southern border and still build the wall is cut off any funding you send to one of these third world countries, be it Guatemala, Nicaragua, Mexico, cut the funding off and say, we'll only open the tap again if you give us assistance and aggressively control the borders. And I believe Trump did do that, and it was working. So so he did, to a great extent, do that. And this is where Trump made three mistakes uh, as president. One of them was, while he did understand and do some of that, he never did it across the board to gain control of the government bureaucracy. Uh, at the moment that you don't shut the bureaucracy down, like you just said, or, you know, the more you fund something, the more you're going to reinforce and let it grow. And so President Trump and his national security team did uh, incentivize third countries, like Mexico and other countries, keeping refugees there, the stay, you know, the, the stay-in-place policy, things like that. Uh, President Trump then did trust too much the infrastructure to do things he told it to do. We found out at one point that uh, while he directed us to leave Syria, they lied to him and didn't do it. So this is where I fault him not having picked uh, enough reliable people to essentially do overwatch and checking to make sure things got done. And third, you know, and I think this is something that I'd like to believe he'll learn from this next time, he was just not, uh, if he decides to run that is, is not as aggressive as I think he should have. He really tried to give the benefit of the doubt to the left. And uh, things like, hey, this is my policy. I expect you to carry it out. They wouldn't do it. So I think he, I'd like to believe that he's learned some lessons and that uh, the lessons he learned would be uh, brought back to fix things like the border, like you talk about, to actually expand the programs that worked and uh, do more to actually uh, drain the swamp because clearly the swamp's going to do what it wants to do unless someone drains it completely. And you've got to take the money away to drain it. Yeah. Unfortunately, once we get a, uh, oh, geez, I just had a major brain fart. You have an agency that forms within the federal government. It never goes away. There's always someone that's going to man that desk because they want that salary. They want that control. And once they have that control, then they put in regulations and have them enacted as if they were law. That costs people money and some of them even jail time. So you have a a bureaucrat deciding what is legal and illegal and not an elected legislative official. So, again, we've got a huge swamp there. Talking about people being accountable, um, you did testimony for uh, uh, Colonel Stu Schiller. and I'm hearing, I'm hearing, I'm hearing little rumors on the grapevine that there may be a political future for him. No, I don't know about that. I, I know that Stu uh, was able to come out of the military with uh, most of his benefits intact. He did not get an honorable discharge, but he didn't get a dishonorable discharge. And I don't necessarily agree with uh, the, the the type of discharge he got. Uh, with that said. Um, you know, he's going to have to make some decisions on what he wants to do with the family. The good news is he was, uh, through GoFundMe and other funding sources, he ended up with a, a sizable amount of money to make the transition, which is always difficult for a whistleblower. So as whistleblowers go, I think he's much better suited and going to be much better off. But it remains to be seen what, if anything, uh, is done to account for the wrongdoing he observed. And let's be clear here. Uh, he said exactly what we all knew uh, to be happening. The Joe Biden administration, 
uh, was derelict uh, to the point of uh, not only causing deaths, they, I think they knew uh, what was going on and chose to act anyway to kill c- civilians. I think that was, I think they meant to do that. And uh, at this point, you know, there needs to be a, a reckoning of, of what happened as well as really trying to figure out a way to avoid similar failures in the future. And that's something I'd like to believe Colonel Schiller and, and, and uh, will stand up and try to support, because I do believe uh, I'm encouraging the Republicans I, I speak to and advise, they really need to have hearings on this uh, should the House and Senate become under control of Republican leadership uh, within the next couple of years. No, I've said that Afghanistan has to have a full hearing, as well as what happened on right. January 6th. Both. We need full right. and expose every, every piece of dirty laundry possible. And let's find right. out why it happened so it never happens again. I don't think in our nation's history we have ever had a pullout like that. I mean, I remember no. watching the fall of Saigon, but even that was uh, orderly. You know, they got the out fall, the civilians the fall of Saigon first. happened a year after we... Yeah, the fall of Saigon happened a year after we left. It didn't happen within, mm-hmm. you know, hours. So, yeah. It was, like I said, it was an orderly withdrawal, and we got out with all of our assets. Mm-hmm. Um, but this time, it was the exact opposite. You know, it was done, yeah. as my friend Mike Cutler says, backwards, completely yeah. backwards. And we, why would we leave all of that equipment and armament there? That in itself is criminal. I mean, you just, you just no, and again, nobody, your enemy. We did. That we, gave, we made them like the fifth largest military in the world once we left. So, yeah, it was completely insane. But you are working to get them out, and I thank you for doing that because, you know, I hear story after story of people trying to get out and those that have gotten out. And as you said, the, these stories need to be told. And I hope they are, and I hope the American yeah. people begin to yeah, listen to, so that we never fall yeah, we're trying to Yeah, we're going to try to get these folks an audience, and, and um, i got to work. You know, it's one of those things where you need to be careful because people still have family and relatives, so it's not as easy as just marching people out. And part of it is, uh, you know, you don't want to give up any information about how they got out either. So it's one of those things where I think we're going to have in the very near future uh, I've had several folks identified to me to be able to come out and talk about it in more detail to, to give uh, everybody a better understanding of what's going on. Well, as soon as you get that lined up, uh, let Chris uh, contact me and we can set something up and do a nice large sure. show segment on that. All the airtime you got, Tony. You know we love you here. I pre- no, I appreciate the, the, the direct questions and the, and the uh, factual discussion. And, again, like I said, I want to do what Herb would have wanted to do, and Herb would be very – committed to the idea of, of thoughtful discussion and the examining of hard issues and facts that people don't want to talk about. And I know he'd appreciate you allowing me and, and our, uh, the center the time to talk about these things. So I, I thank you for allowing us this opportunity. Oh, it's my pleasure. And uh, I just did see our next guest in on this, and he's dropped off. I hope you'll call back because our next guest is coming from the Heritage Foundation. So, you know, I, I come for the go for the cream of the crop here. You know that, Tony. Excellent. <laughs> well, I thank you for you the hard work. All right. And people can find you at the London Center, and also they can scroll all the way down to the very bottom right-hand corner and make a donation to help you with the rescues. Yes, ma'am. Uh, we'd appreciate that. 
God bless. God bless. Thank you. All right. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel uh, Tony Schaefer at the London Center for Policy Research. Now, there he is. I got him. I got him. I'm going to tackle him. him. Let's bring... I got him. Let's tackle him. Let's bring on our final victim of the day, Joel Griffith with the Heritage Foundation. Good afternoon, Joel. How are you today? Uh, you're breaking up. Hello? Your connection's not good. Uh, hello? We hello? got you. Yes. Hello? Yeah, we got you. We got you, Joel. Can you hear me? Do we have hello? him, Vito? I can see him yes, there. I- I've got, yeah, I, I, yes, I'm here. Yep. Okay, there. we got you. We got you, Joe. Joe Griffiths with the Heritage okay. Foundation. Good afternoon. Good, good afternoon. <laughs> we'll get that. this going. <laughs> we'll get this going. No worries. No worries. Uh, we just hung up with uh, Tony Schaefer with the uh, Herb London Center. So you're our final victim of the day. So welcome aboard. All right. Well, thank you. All right. Um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Tom sent me over some interesting articles, and we believe it or not, we started off the show talking about the Fed and the economy, and that's how we're ending the show today, with talking to you about the Fed and the economy. And there's some interesting articles that uh, Tom sent me, and uh, the New York Times just recently published a piece uh, this past week on the state of the economy, the labor, labor shortage, and supply chain problems, as well as inflation. And this saying that it's not Washington or the Fed that's causing all these problems, but it's you and me, the hardworking American people. <laughs> We're to blame. I mean, really? Really? The Fed has nothing to do with this. And Joe Biden's policies on shutting down pipelines and not attending to uh, supply shortages, uh, having the ports in the California and New York blocked off where supplies aren't coming in. No, no, no. That's, that's not affecting the economy. Shutting us down on the pandemic has nothing to do with the economy. It's you and me. We're to blame. Yeah, well, it's, uh, it'd be laughable if it, uh, if it weren't so true that he said this. Look, we, we know that we've got big problems here. We, we've got fastest, the, the fastest rising prices in nearly 40 years. On the producer side, the fastest rising prices is even longer. And we know what's caused this problem. We've experienced it the past year and a half. We've had the government has a really wreak havoc on our supply in general. Remember, think back to just not that long ago where in much of the country, opening a business to the public was criminal behavior. Businesses are forced to close. It wasn't just the bars and restaurants as important as that is to our economy. Entire factories at one point were having to shut down or they were putting in place for requirements that made it very difficult to produce merchandise. And then, of course, on the shipping side, we had so many problems put in place where people were acting with such hysteria over this virus. If you were a truck driver, especially out in California, you couldn't even get a bite to eat at a restaurant because they had such severe restrictions in place. So, of course, that meant a lot of people left that industry all together. And now you have a lot of these left-wing cities and states that are considering forced vaccinations, and it's chasing people off the job. So government policies have really wreaked with the for the Federal Reserve. For you know, even the Federal Reserve is admitting that they're partially to blame for this because they have printed trillions of dollars to fund extensive uh, government deficit, deficit spending 
that's increased demand at a time where we have supply down. So it's no surprise that we've got prices rising. No surprise that we have issues getting merchandise on the shelves. But blame this on people. Blame this on business. Uh, you're breaking. You're starting to break up. Endure this. You still with the yeah, show? Yeah, I'm sorry. We're about breaking that. Can up. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Yeah, we got you now. <laughs> you got to be walking around no, as you're talking. <laughs> no, I, I'm here at my. Uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure what the deal is, but I'm just saying it to, to put the blame on businesses and people when we know it was the government forcing businesses to shut down. And it was the central bank printing trillions of dollars worth of currency. Um, we know that's the problem. Uh, this is not the fault of consumers and everyday people like you and me. Well, when we started forming the Tea Parties back in 2009, we were bitching about the Fed and quantitative easing. It's never stopped. And that is now uh, 2009. That's uh, 13 years ago. And they have still right. been printing, printing, printing. And the only thing that is backing it are mortgages that they're buying up. I mean, thank you, Richard Nixon. I always say this all the time for getting us off the gold standard. I think it was the worst thing he had ever done. Well, you bring up an important point. It's not just the Federal Reserve buying up government debt and allowing the government to spend far beyond its means. You also have the central bank buying trillions of dollars worth of mortgages, and also hundreds of billions of dollars worth of other assets. So look at what's going on with the housing market. This doesn't even factor in um, yet with all the uh, inflation numbers. We have housing prices that have risen 27% over the past two years. Uh, typical house now is costing seven times somebody's median income, which is far higher than what it has been historically. And mortgage payments are eating up about 32% of a person's income to buying a new home, which is also here a historical high. And interest rates are just starting now to come up. So it's likely to get even worse. Well, the Federal Reserve has made this possible in part because they have bought up so many mortgages. They've bought up trillions of dollars of the mortgages. It's heated up this marketplace. And, you know, what this also has done is created this big stock market, almost a stock market bubble. The market cap is up 45% during the pandemic at a time where the economy has been so rocky. And what that has meant is that people that are heavily invested in the stock market, they did quite well. But if you're just somebody who's beginning to accumulate wealth, just starting a family, you have been squeezed. You've seen your prices go up. Meanwhile, those that are already fortunate enough and, and responsible enough to have saved because they've been saving for decades, they did quite well. This is unfair. It's not right. It's not normal. It's not free market. And our government and our central bank is to blame. You know, there's so much going on right there. You know, one of the things where you're talking about the housing market, the price of housing going up sky high, did you know that if you like to live in a rural or suburban area, well, that's racist. Uh, where, meanwhile, 85% of our, our, our worth, those of us that are middle America, is in you know, the housing. We control 85% of the wealth because we own these little tiny houses. But wait a minute. No, 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 no. That's racist. We want you to live in the cities, which are democratic strongholds, so we can control you better and forget about that nice gasoline guzzle, guzzle you have. You're going to bike, walk, or take public transportation to wherever you need to go. 
it, it's all about now, control, it, isn't it? Well, there's a big movement within a lot of elites in D.C. to force all of the country to live in more densely populated areas with mass transportation um, and to get away from what we've seen, what many families enjoy, which is living on bigger yards outside the cities um, where people rely on their own um, vehicles to get from point A to point B. And look, I, I've lived in both environments over my lifetime. I've loved living in a few big cities like Chicago and Washington, D.C. But this is a personal choice. You should not have uh, bureaucrats and politicians in D.C. trying to socially engineer the country to shift people's preferences. Each person is different. Each community is different. And what you see is so important. You see the uh, Department of Housing and Urban Development um, for years now, thankfully President Trump put this on hold, but for years has been trying to basically bribe local governments with billions of dollars of D.C. money to change their zoning regulations, to change the, um, yeah, the very structure of these communities. It's dead wrong. We live in a country of 50 different states. Each person should be able to choose the type of community they want to live in. Each community should be able to determine how it wants to develop free of what Washington, D.C. says. Now, isn't it, if I remember correctly, I'm pulling this out of stuff I, I look at all week. I believe it's Seattle that passed the zoning law saying that you can't build any more single-family homes. It all has to be multifamily um, structures. That sounds, uh, that, that sounds very uh, um, believable, what you just said. I'm just not, real, I'm not familiar with that specific piece of legislation. I know this is happening in communities across the country. And look, on a city level, um, I have some policy concerns um, with those types of restrictions. But that's up to that city and that local development, uh, uh, you know, the local zoning boards, what to do. What I'm concerned with is D.C. telling uh, local communities that they have to outlaw, say, uh, they have to, let's say, shrink lot sizes, or they have to allow there to be more dense buildings. It might be the best thing to do to, 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 uh, to develop in that manner, but that's not for D.C. to say. Each, each community should be making that decision for themselves. You know, Joel, this is Vito. So I, I have a question for Joel. This is Vito. Um, in your Hello. latest article of stagflation returning, uh, 2022, um, you stated that there are four million people, four million fewer people are working compared to just two years ago. Many have dropped out of the labor force altogether. How troubling is that when it comes to the release of unemployment numbers and and giving a, a true picture of of the workforce? No, that's a great question. It actually, um, the, the unemployment rate is now down to about where it was before the pandemic, but there are millions of people that never came back to work. And it's important that people understand that that unemployment rate looks at those people who are not working that are looking for work. Once somebody loses their job or quits their job or gets fired and they decide they're no longer looking to reenter the workforce, they're not counted anymore. They don't count as unemployed. And I think that's something most people don't recognize. I'm glad you brought this up. And when you see millions of people of working age, right now our, the labor force participation rate I think is the more, most important number here. That rate looks at all the people that are working or looking for work. And that percentage right now is about as low as it's been since the 1970s. And remember, the 1970s is when women were first entering the workforce en masse. So for our labor force participation rate to be stuck 
at the rate it was in the 1970s, that should be that is very very troubling. And one of the reasons why that happened is because we had our central bank in effect pump up the stock market, and a lot of people that were still saving for retirement they suddenly saw because of all this funny money, they saw their retirement accounts greatly increase, and they decided they're done. They're not coming back to work. We saw a lot of people retire early, and then of course. You have so many parents that have been suffering across much of the country because of these rolling, these school shutdowns, child care facilities. You've got these onerous requirements on little kids that if they're in these child care facilities, they're having to eat lunch outdoors in the cold or they're having to wear a mask all day. And a lot of parents have said, look, we can't deal with this. We, we're, we're trying, we, our kids need to have a nice, comfortable life. Or you know, sometimes they can't even find a child care. So you had a lot of parents drop out of the workforce as well. And then lastly, you do have a lot of generous benefits that are still in place for those that are not working. So most people are able to earn more money unemployed than on the job. And you've seen a lot of individuals that are taking advantage of these benefits that might have been well-intentioned, but it's actually operated as a, as a disincentive for people to work, and they never came back to the job. Well, that's, that's something that we've been discussing all day on the show today, because like I said, we started off talking about the Fed, and we're ending up finishing up with the Fed. Um, pre, Pre-Fed bank, before we had the Fed, um, prices were actually, consumer goods were absolutely dropping. I mean, you would spend $100 for something, and then that would be your grandfather, and then as you come up of age, the same amount of money, the same amount of goods is at almost half that price. But once we got the central bank in, every every single year prices go up, 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 and you just never see them come down. No, that that's true. In um, if uh, oh, over time our labor becomes more productive, and that's what leads to our standard of living increases. When you have the money supply increasing at a faster rate than the total amount of goods and services in that economy, that's when you see the cost of those goods and services overall rise. And that's what we've seen almost every year since the establishment of the Fed in 1913. And we've kind of just gotten, we think that 1% or 2% inflation is normal. Well, no, it's not. Um, It's caused by the Fed. And you're very right. Um, Before the Federal Reserve was established, it was actually quite normal to see your dollar actually go further, whether it was your physical dollar or whether it was your, your, your ounce of gold, most years you would see that go further in terms of buying power because each year the technology that we have gets better, and each year we're able to see those investments in capital equipment uh, be utilized more efficiently. So we're able to see our, our labor um, expand in value. That's how the standard of living increases. And when you have a continued increase in the money supply beyond – um, the, the goods and services produced, you see the value of that dollar erode each and every year. And it's really the most, one of the most dangerous of taxes because people, uh, we are harmed by it, but you don't see it on that tax form at the end of the year. You don't realize that it's government actually causing the problem, but it's still very real. It still hurts your standard of living longer term. It makes you less well off than you may have been. And if you are a saver and putting that money in your bank account, well, it actually robs you of that wealth because oftentimes the inflation rate exceeds the interest rate that you're receiving for your deposit. It's a type of wealth confiscation, but most people never figure out that it's the government to blame, and I'm glad that you're focused on that. 
Well, not only that, to the interest rates now. Um, I have two different savings accounts, and they're at only half a percent. I mean, you you look at your money sitting there, and it's like, well, why do I even have it sitting there? What else can I put it in where I can get a return? Because savings accounts are not saving you anything. Well, if you look at uh, the price of money, the price of money is very important, and that's called, like you said, the interest rate. And when you have the central bank involved distorting that rate, uh, distorting that price signal, um, it's dangerous to economic growth because it causes resources to be misallocated in a less efficient manner because companies don't really know how in demand, or banks don't really know how in demand um, credit is for certain industries. And as a saver, like you said, as a saver like yourself, it's harmful as well because we have our central banks artificially keeping those rates low, and they do that, for instance. The Fed will print a lot of money, buy up certain types of debt, and think about what happens when you buy debt. The, um, the interest rates go down because um, you're manipulating that price signal. Um, but this has been going on for decades, and I've got no reason to believe it's going to be changing. Not anytime soon, but you know what? We are—we're all to blame for this for this uh, economic, as I call it, Biden inflation um, going on because we demand too much. We we buy too much. We have to learn how to do with a lot less, and then we'll be better off, right? <laughs> That's what they're telling us, but it's so wrong. Once again, yeah, it's not our fault. Um, we don't live in this era where we need to be self-rationing what we purchase. We need to be living within our personal means, of course. But what, I know what you're referencing is this idea that it's, we have been buying too much um, and we're, we're to blame. No, that's uh, the, the, the entity that's been buying too much is the federal government because they've been borrowing from future generations and they've been using our central bank to allow them to basically steal from what's available right now as well. The federal government is what's gotten too big. And, you know, which not to, not to rant on this, but if you look over time, look at all the money that has been spent as a percentage of the economy by the federal government, and you'll see that right now, outside of World War II, which we were obviously fighting two major powers that wanted to subjugate the entire world under their dominion, outside of that, we've never spent a greater part of our economy on our federal government. And that's been done through that deficit spending. And remember, every dollar the federal government spends is another dollar of resources that aren't available to us as private individuals. So the government has gotten far too big. They're raising more money in taxes than ever before. They're spending more than ever before. And that is also a big part um, of why we're in this uh, economic malaise right now. You know, I remember watching the debt clock back in – 2000, 1999-2000, and I never thought it would ever go up into the trillions. Uh, but now this is an everyday occurrence, and with this government that we have currently, it's like, oh, no, um, it's not going to cost you anything. We, we, the money's going to be there like to build back better. It's not going to cost the taxpayer a dime. You're right. And I've got a bridge in Brooklyn to sell you. Well, we have got almost we've got actually I believe over thirty trillion dollars worth of government debt right now. I think what that means the number is so big it's hard to get our mind around it. But I mean thirty trillion dollars for a family of four, that's closing in on uh, on four hundred thousand or three hundred thousand dollars for a family of four. Three to four hundred thousand dollars. So think about all that money. 
And it's not as if that would mean that every family in the United States without that debt, it's not as if that would mean that your family would have $400,000 in the bank account. But what it means is that all of those resources that have been borrowed, that $30 trillion, those are resources that have already been spent and squandered by our government. And if they wouldn't have done that, those would have been dollars that, are, that would have been invested in actual economic production. And that's how all of us become better off, not just the wealthy, but all of us. When you have dollars invested in capital equipment, in factories, in infrastructure, in, um, in technology, all of those dollars, that $30 trillion, would have been employed in, in, in ways in which would have ensured we were producing more as an economy. And that's what's really tricky about this is it's hard to get people to really get their minds around that, that if we would not have borrowed and spent $30 trillion, that we would have all been better off. And sure, we are the wealthiest country in the history of mankind. Our middle class is uh, up until recently doing better than it ever had before. But we could be doing so much better if government would not have robbed us of that $30 trillion that could have invested, been invested in production each and every year. It's gone already spent. Amen. Well, Joel, it, wow. has been well, a, it has been a pleasure. We're down to our last, inside our last three minutes, and the show has just gone like, like no tomorrow. Always, you're always welcome back on the show, Joel. Thank you. Thank you for having me, and have a, have a very nice weekend, both of you. You, you too. Have well. a blessed one, and say hi to Tom for me. Have a blessed one. I will one. do it. Thank you. All right. Joel Griffith at Heritage. Find him at heritage.org. That's all we got, Vito. I mean, this whole show is hey, just going you. like wildfire. It has been a pleasure having you with us. And uh, Thank you. Uh, CS should be back again next week. And you're always welcome to pop in and join us, Rita. You know that. We love you. Yes. Love you, too. So, you take care of yourself. Thanks for having me on. Uh, thank you. All right. I'm going to leave you with my friend Gary Pecorella, Save America. So I say for now, good night and God bless.